search. Each man different, living his own way, searching, discovering numero uno. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode, episode 20, Broken by Concept. Back to the couch. I'm Coach Curtis, this is Nathan Mott, we're back to the couch again, got the shorts popping, the thighs are popping. We got the gym popping again. We haven't gone yet, but tomorrow we have access to the gym. How the restrictions have been eased even more over here in Australia or Melbourne, to be more specific, or Victoria. Yeah. Um, so I'm loving life. By the way, for people that not knowing about Victoria in terms of the COVID situation, yeah. we haven't had we've had zero cases for tw- is it like twenty days, three weeks. I think we've literally. Yeah, zero cases consecutively for 20, 20 days or 21 days. Which is which would actually be blow people's minds, I think. How insane is that to think? That we literally have zero cases. Everyone outside yeah. is just like normal. We're now. actually just normal back to real life. Like I was uh, the other day, was last night I was walking out. So we live like in the city, like near like, a bunch of bars and stuff. And I was just walking outside and it was pumping. Bars, Pump- pumping. restaurants. Everyone's having a good time, laughing. Crazy. I was like, wow. This ba- everyone's back to normal again. Which is pretty cool. So, um, so did we, did you really enjoy the guests? Well, so a lot of people liked, they thought that yeah, uh, Simon I mean, Swiffer was good. That was good. I fun. mean, a lot of people didn't know who Swiffer was, which yeah. was understandable. I didn't expect anyone yeah. to really know who he was, who isn't from Oz, yeah. um, which is the majority of our audience isn't even from Oz, mm. which makes a lot of sense. But, um, the feedback seemed pretty good. Three and a half hours. We Can didn't expect that? it to go that long though. I mean, I thought it was going to be like two, maybe if at a push two and a half. Like, that was if it was a really good conversation. Out of curiosity, if anyone listened to the whole thing, let us know in the comments. Yeah. I'm so interested. Three and a half hours. You'd obviously have to take a break, right? That would have, no, like, that would have to be over, like, multiple days, multiple I days. Maybe, maybe you're still going through it. Maybe, maybe... I've had people saying, Curtis, you're putting out too much content. I can't keep up between the podcast and the YouTube. Excellent. That's what I want to hear. You're going to be overwhelmed with, yep. with content from... I mean, podcasts everything. aren't easy to listen to. Yeah, they take know, some take time. time. You, I mean, ideally, you have like a, a time of the week or like you do a certain activity when you do a podcast, like cleaning, walking, running. I love listening to podcasts when I'm like, yeah, doing cleaning in the house or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or going to get the groceries. Cooking dinner. Yeah, I love doing that. We're cooking dinner as well. But um, preseason, still popping, still learning. Um, got to get back into the games. There's a bunch of hot fixes come out to Sunfire Aegis. There was also... There's a new change with Anivia. Anivia is getting a little pretty big buff, actually. So is 10.24, is that this week? I believe 10.24 is out this week, yeah. Because it's every two weeks. Of and all, a lot of the AP items are getting changed. It's actually a pretty big buff. I'll probably do a video on that, like a meta update and my thoughts and things like that. Does that change your item video much? Um, I think that, nah, like the items are all the same, just the numbers. Got but it. I'm going to talk a little bit about how that will shift the meta. Yep. And I'm actually going to do a video on ADTF. Uh, I spoke to that Jebsu guy, the EU The challenger. one you made the video on, right? Yeah, he's a, he's the Twist of Fate Challenger player. Yep. I'm going to make a video on that because I had a conversation with him and it, um, it actually seems quite good from, from what he was telling me, but I'm going to test it first. But anyway, um, as we promised, we are going to go over in this episode part two, part three of Dopers Reddit Post. The two episodes ago, we went over part one. Um, but we had many people request that we go over all of the parts. So we're going to go through that today. And we'll kick it off with part two. Nathan, do you want to kick this first bit off or? Yeah, so part two. So Dopus starts off with talking about this attention theory. And we were having a laugh before saying, yeah. whenever you add theory to it, it's like, it's like it sounds like Dopus being, he's done like a PhD. He's like a scientist. He's like a scientist. He's add theory on the back end of any word. Yeah. 
And this is like, you're, you're a genius. He's a genius. Because yeah, if you just called it like my thoughts on people's attention spans yeah. versus the attention <laughs> theory, you instantly t- sound yeah. 10 times smarter. Or it lends, lends so much more credibility to your point. He's literally talking about this on a stream. He's like, <laughs> this is the attention theory. It's like a lecture I'm gonna class. That. I'm going to do that on my YouTube a now. Just literally just I'm going to call every theories. Because then everyone's like, oh, this has just been a thing that's I been around forever. I should call it the champion mastery theory. theory. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know the same thing with um, the main character theory that we talked yeah, about in the other episode. Theory, because that's theory. Then it makes so it much a cooler. Good point. <laughs> so, like honestly, like maybe even just for like just whenever a conversation, just the player just, identity theory. The theory, just add theory on anything. I was gonna add theory onto everything. The theory of making bacon and eggs. This is the bacon and egg theory. Yeah. People will like, like will listen to you. It's like, oh, what do you? What is the method? <laughs> is it the timing? Is it the way you flip it? Like, you know. All right, kick it off, Nathan. All right, so um, we talk a lot about the attention theory here, right? So essentially what Dopa is getting at here, and what I loved about what he was talking about in terms of he likes a number. So let me read a bit. Let's just take this nice and slow, I think. Okay. I just want to read some some points um, through this. So um, obviously he talks a lot about, you know, this is... And I like Dopa emphasizes throughout all these posts is that this is his view, his world view. He doesn't enforce this on anyone. This is just the way he plays the game. This is how he thinks about the game. I love game that term, by the way. Game. World view. World view. Yeah. It's very, it's very cool term. So this is all his perspective. But I mean, again, at the end of the day, this is why we're talking about listening to him because he's the best. Well, he's been ranked player. one. He's been ranked one Eight every seasons. season since season three. three. Yeah. All so right. we got to listen to it, you know. Like I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to take it with the, you know. He's he's got some wise wisdom here. So, so walk us through the attention theory, Nathan. All right. So he likes to start off with his example here um, about laning. Obviously, Dope is a mid laner, so he's focused on laning. Um, but the idea of the attention theory is that humans have a limited amount of attention that they can actively choose to focus on different aspects of the game. So he goes to some examples because he thinks people don't understand that. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Like. Again, we've talked about it before. It's like, if I suddenly say to you right now, Curtis, what color is the sky? Mm. You're instantly, I'm just posed a question. Whatever your attention was before, your attention is now over what color is the sky. Yeah. So you can only think about, is it yeah, one There's only a certain time? amount of things that we can think about at the same time, yeah. right? A certain amount of things that we can do. So this makes sense, right? So again, let's relate it to league. So he talks about, personally, he thinks that there are three rules you have to focus on when you lane. One, you have to last hit the minions. Two, you have to harass the enemy to stop them from last hitting. And three, you have to avoid being harassed by the enemy while last hitting yourself. All other plays related to laning in the end are ultimately derived into these three aspects. Do you agree with that, Curtis? Yeah, well, actually, it- I was actually thinking about this. Because um, I was thinking, okay, so he's really breaking down everything to do with minions. Because at the end of the day, you can't escape minions. So you're either last hitting you have to kill or minions. harassing the enemy to prevent them from last hitting. Yeah. Or you're, you know, you're avoiding, you're trying to avoid getting harassed by them while you are last hitting. Um, and I was thinking, okay, you know, where does leaning come into play? Or, you know, where does warding come into play? All these things. At the end of the day, it does allow you to do one of the following. Because you can't just randomly solo kill your opponent. You, you're solo killing because of through minions, through like trades over well, time, Well, in order right? to solo kill, that is derived from harassing anyway. Yeah. Which is again based on minions. Yeah, so like, which is like, based on minions. So, so these, everything really comes br- down to everything would branch CSing. off these things. Like leaning, leaning would branch off. Yeah, leaning, these, warding, lane positioning, tracking, tethering, jungle tracking, whatever it is, it all stems off these. Yeah. 
So he basically, after this, he goes into an example, right? Talking about how, like, if he's versing a Zerath, you know, if you go up to last hit, Zerath is going to time his Q with your last hit. So then you got to either fake the, you got to fake the auto attack to bait out the ability, or you got to, um, you know, cancel an auto attack or whatever you have to do, and then you can dodge it because it's very telegraphed, and then you know you can continue on with your laning. So this is the part that I love, where yep. he talks about he puts a. You got an attention level of 100. So it's sort of like a game. It's like so you, gives, you, get, you get a health bar or something like so that. So he your gives attention. your attention span a number of 100, essentially. Let's just read it out. So you want to read this yeah, little bit? I'll out just here. read this bit out. Okay. Let's assume you have a total of 100 attention that you can use. What happens if you spend all 100 of your attention on those three rules of laning? Yes, you're just going to die to ganks. Even if you start off the game spending 100 of your attention on laning, you have to spend some attention on other things at the 2 minute mark, or to be safe, 3 seconds before the 2 minute mark. You have to spend 15 of your attention to look at the position of your jungle and figure out his path. It takes 5 attention to check the time, and you have to spend 10 to predict the pathing of the enemy jungle. This only leaves you with 70 attention to lane with. You then have 3 seconds while doing that, and then you can go back to laning with your 100 of your attention. So basically what he's saying here is that there are things in the game or things that come up within the game that force you to use your attention into other areas. They drag your attention. So what he's basically saying here is that, you know, you've got to actually look at, on the minimap to see where the enemy jungle started to see who got a leash, right? Who came to lane late. So, you know, where they're starting and look at their champion. Are there a champion that can do wrapped as well? Are they a champion that wants to do, you know, can they level two gank well? Or are they going to do a level three gank? Or are they going to full clear? Exact same for your jungler. What are they going to do? Which scuttle are they going to end up on? You know, these are things that you literally have to spend your attention thinking about in the first, you know, you're saying here in the first, you know, 15 seconds or whatever, first few seconds of the game. So essentially he's viewing attention as a resource. Yeah, it's kind of like a mana pool. You have like a mana pool, but an attention pool. But the thing, the important thing to realize is that what he's, the way he's interpreting it, is let's just say you have a hundred attention, it, like let's say you use twenty. Let's say throw the number out twenty of your attention, <clears> thinking about the jungle paths or what the junglers are going to be doing at the beginning of the game. That seventy is then being used for the laning. But if you are able to have the hundred attention directed on your laning, mm. you're going to be able to do more things or think about more things within your laning. So you, you could probably do better trades and then potentially yeah. solo kill someone better. Exactly. Yeah. So he's, he's what he's saying, and, and I, I guess the the assumption that we're going to make here, he hasn't really explicitly, he doesn't come out and say it, is that the more tension you have or the more attention you can direct to a specific area of the game, the better or the more opportunities you are going to see or more proactive creative plays you're going to be able to see essentially he never it never says that but we're going to, i think that's the underlying principle here we're assuming that more attention leads to better quality plays better yeah because you're more focused all in on one thing right so so then he goes into him now managing that attention so attention management again like this sounds like it's like some sort of book it's like attention attention theory this is the management of the attention uh, okay, so I really like this in terms of pings stealing away attention. I This is actually something that I, I see high elo players ping more than low elo players. In a, do you actually just agree with that statement straight up? I would say they their pings mean more. Um, yeah, I would, I would say... I mean, I actually can't comment because I haven't really 
paid attention to the amount of pings in Loilo. I can't really comment on that. Um, why do you think that is? That the pings mean more. The case. Well, I mean, what, okay. Well, what, let's just say let's say the case is that they they do ping more. Yeah. Um, probably because they understand the significance of that information and what it will lead to. That's right. Yeah. I think that that's what it is. It's not the fact that they, they lower elo players don't have the ability to ping. It's the fact that they're not seeing what that information will do or what's important or, or even thinking ahead enough in well, the if game. You th- if you think about a ping, Nathan, a pi- like if you think about how a decision is made, you're only going to ping something if you genuinely believe that ping to be meaningful or useful. Like... This is why understanding the theory is much more important than the specifics. So if I were to say this, say say for some reason, Nathan, you were backseat gaming me. Yeah. And you told me in the moment, Curtis, you should ping right now your bot lane to back off. And you should use three danger pings on your bot lane. Now in the moment, I may not understand why that is the case. And 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 maybe that some rule comes about where you say, no, Curtis, every game you've got to use this ping at this time whenever you see this situation. It's not going to mean that much to me. And I'm not really going to be able to do it a, like consistently because I don't understand the theory behind it. That's right. If you understand the theory behind it, which challenger play or high elo players do, they are going to be more inclined to use pings often because they understand what's at play here. You know? Because in high elo, if you're, you know, if you're a jungler and the enemy jungler gets that one kill off top at level three, that can just make him snowball and the game can of be course, completely yeah. over. Yeah. Be so much harder As a jungler, you... I say it's your responsibility to know where they start. You know, you're looking through leashes and stuff like that. So if you're on, if you guys are on opposite ends of the map, you need to be danger pinging the other side of the map, especially around the time where they probably finish their buff. And there is, I would say, a lot of games. Like, it's so crazy how that's such a simple thing, but no one, very few people do it. I would say that's a skill in itself, though. You think you that's a skill in itself? Like, I, mean, if, I mean, I'm not a jungler, so I can't really comment on this, but yeah. if I were a jungle coach... I would actually have that as a separate skill. Yeah. Because that's like, for me, jungle tracking, it's a separate skill. Got it. For you, it's your pathing. Understanding so, your so pathing. So pings would be like pinging or, or that no, specific moment in the game is No, like I would say, and again, it's the ability to track and track the enemy jungler. Track the enemy and, and, and then ping him where he is as a yep. result of that. It's not the actual ping itself. It's like the, the ability to track them and actively think about that while doing your path. Because, right, step one as a jungler, right, I'm assuming is, all right, focus all of your attention on just doing your path. Like, clearing the camps, n- deciding on what path to do, given the wind conditions in the game and that sort of thing. That's like step, that's like maybe one or two steps there. Then there's a whole other skill of, okay, you need to be able to do this path, figure out the path that's optimal for you, and figure out what the most optimal path is for the jungler and what path they're doing so that you can foresee where they're going to be and ping them out so they don't get a gank off. And I do believe that is the jungler's responsibility at the highest level because they're the one that should know better than anyone else what that jungler should be doing because they don't need to lane. That's right. So he talks here about um, pings as acts as a way of stealing attention. He uses an example here. In a mid-jungle 2v2 situation, all four players are using all 100 of their attention on the skirmish. If you see four caution pings, then you're forced to spend about 10 attention per ping. So again, he's like, these are just all like, just, would you say it's probably about 10 attention per ping? It's like, you hear it. It's like, that's a little bit of your attention. Is that like worth 10? I would say in high elo, it, do, it is because in low elo, pings don't mean much. People just ignore pings. Yeah. They, they don't understand them, it's, which is understandable because the pings usually don't mean much. Yeah. Cause either. they're, cause they're, they've been reinforced. Yeah. Like people just ping, missing ping just, just like for like trolling and stuff like that. Right. 
So then you, he says you'll divert 40 of your attention to the minimap. Again, this is about talking about the skirmish. And try to find the reason behind the pings. Then you realize that the enemy support is roaming faster than your support. Then you avoid the skirmish. Again, I mean, that's a, that's a perfect situation right there where pings could have helped them. Because, because again, you're in a 2v2 skirmish. You have to spend 100 of your attention on that skirmish. You know, And that's why pings are so important. It's like, okay, little 10, 10, 10. Yep. Um, but again, that's the interesting thing you bring up before, Curtis, is that he's not applying that 100 attention equals better play versus what does 90 look like? Well, he, I think he's assuming that if you were to direct 100 on your lane, then yeah, you would be able to play better. Better, right? that's right, yeah. So what I think what 90 is, is that you, you're still, you're like, the still way I'm viewing good. it right now, the way I'm assuming what he means by this is that you're basically able to do that thing at 90% capacity. I'm viewing like attention as like capacity. Capacity, I like that word. Capacity, or like, okay, think of it, a car, if it can only go... If it overloads and it goes slower. So well, it's like if you fill up... Well, yeah. think about this. Like, say a car at its max capacity, if you're going to... Like what it's designed to do, 100% capacity, it will go at 100Ks an hour. Let's just say that. But if you can only... If you're only able to put 90% capacity of the car's engine, you, you can only go 90Ks an hour. That's why, I, that's why I'm interpreting this. Got it. My analogy of that, I think for the car, in terms of weight... Like a truck or like a really big like load. Ah. So it's like if they have all this stu- extra stuff in it, then it it's slows slower. down. You can't go. Yeah, similar, similar analogy. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, I kind of want to just skim through this next bit. We'll go through this next bit and then we'll go back and then touch on it all together. So he talks about after this how um, another example of, of attention being stolen away. And he's saying to chat, you guys are probably used to this too. Is, let's just say the bot lane is, you know, running it down every 30 seconds. Then I have no choice but to spend a lot of my attention checking on the status of my bot lane. I keep finding myself towards bot lane two, bot two because, um, and I keep finding myself moving towards bot two and that eventually leads to high chances of getting my alt or teleport canceled. It also opens up to me getting ganked. It's all because my attention is diverted to bot. That's why when one lane is blown apart, other lanes have a higher chance of losing. According to my attention theory, anyway, it's natural. On the other hand, imagine that the enemy bot la- the enemy bot lane is running it down. Then I know that I'll win as long as I play well, so I can focus more on the movements of my enemy laner. Okay, this is a this is something that I've spoken about, but not in reference to attention theory. Now, I actually think this is a very it's a very smart way, a very it's a very interesting way of viewing it. Um, okay, let's break this down. So, first of all, do we agree so far? Or, or how, what do we think about the attention theory so far? Do, would you? Is there anything that you do or don't agree with it? What, what so far? What's going through your mind? I think it's spot on. I think it's absolutely spot on. Well, again, like we're gonna like we really are talking about the theory here. It's, it's more about the way that he applies it to you know he starts getting into champion mastery okay, programs yeah. and stuff. We'll right? get to that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one thing I really like about it, the point in this specific point is that my, one of my philosophies in league is that as a mid laner, you want to make the game as easy as possible for your teammates. And it's actually not even just mid lane. In League of Legends mm, overall. I talk about that in my jungle. You want to make well. the game as easy as possible for everyone else in the game. Mm. Like if you could do anything, like even the smallest little thing to prevent um, or to... I guess, give your teammates more information or make their lives easier, you should do it. And this has always got me thinking where... um, So, for example, I always talk about this specific example of warding raptors. 
Now, if you play very well as a mid laner and you get priority early on in the game, or, you know, let's say in the first five minutes, whatever it is, and you get a deep ward on the enemy Raptors, especially like pre-first clear, as like the junglers are really kind of deciding where they're going to go and where they're going to gank, that one deep Raptor ward can lead to a whole host of information for your entire team. I love that. As a jungler, I love the, I love the Raptor ward. You know, because then yeah. your jungler knows which side of the map the enemy jungler is. Yeah. Your team knows which side of the map the jungler is. So if you see the enemy... Kha'Zix go from like red say we're, we're blue side and I ward the enemy raptors and we see the Kha'Zix go down to blue well that means the top laner now knows he's in an isolated 1v1 so he can play as aggressive as he wants it also knows that my jungle now knows Kha'Zix is 100% bot side and my bot lane now knows that 100% Kha'Zix is bot and he's going to be on that side of the map so they can't really play too aggressive or they have to keep into account that Kha'Zix can be there first so what I love about this at a very simple level it's not that that ward, some some games that may not change anything. Some some games your laners might die anyway. Some games the Kha'Zix wasn't going to be able to get a gank off anyway. Or some games, you know, it, it just becomes negligible. But then there's some other games where that information becomes really important. That can actually give your team... That can allow your, your jungler to gank top lane Absolutely. when they wouldn't have otherwise mm. been able to gank top because they know they can't e even, even invade Raptors. There's actually... Or invade Raptors. They take Raptors. So sometimes, it, sometimes I will lose track and forget that about Raptor camp and then it pops up. And then that gives me so much information knowing it's like, okay, it just popped up. Even if they haven't showed them up for a while, then I understand that they haven't been there for a while. So yeah. it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm getting at here is that He's saying how his bot lane losing trades is actually fucking him over. Because he has to direct attention. Oh, the enemy support could be roaming mid now. There's a lot of fire sound there. I have to help them out. I have to ward for them. Like the junglers are probably going to be down there. You're thinking of all these... Because they're dying all the time, and it's a very heavy trading situation by the, looks, by the sounds of this specific situation, you're having to take your attention away from what when you would have otherwise been able to think of maybe creative plays to get ahead or get ahead in the laning phase, focus on the micro and the dodging patterns and the wave management and the lane positioning and the warding. Like you can go really, really deep in the lane, but now we can't think about that stuff. He's probably going to have to like mindlessly shove out some ways when he would have otherwise um, been able to like create a really good wave state for himself. So what I take away from this and if I'm the average league player reading this post or listening to this podcast, is that the mentality you've got to have, you've got to, you've got to realize that you taking bad traits has an effect on everyone, everyone else on the, the map. Whole team, yeah. and, 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 the, and notice the other thing here. If you win trades and you're winning your lane, it makes your side lane's life easier mm. or your jungler's life easier because then your jungler it will pan his camera mid, see that you're full HP and have priority. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, he doesn't really need any help. I don't need to hover him. I don't need to help him get the wave out. I don't need to put wards for him. Like, oh, he's well, not necessarily. You might need to have still. Maybe. You know. but it, was, but it definitely relaxes me a lot Relaxes the yeah. laners, right? Every jungle wants three winning it, lanes. It, it gives me more <laughs> options. It gives me more you options. You can invade more, yeah. objectives more. I'm, I might, I'm, if, if, if they're taking heavy trades and the wave's in a bad spot, I might have to ditch a camp. Like, this is stuff that I have to start moving my attention my resources you get used getting so used up. I, I mean i've always found this to be the case but this is a really clean way of explaining that concept because mm. this is the way i've explained it the way i've explained it is that you're just helping your teammates you're making your teammates life easier but this is actually more specifically how it's allowing that it's it's the obviously the information part of it but it's also the um you're literally saving your your, your teammates from using attention span Something people don't talk about. Or something you don't probably don't think about that much. And, and one last other little example here. 
think about this. Let's just say um, you're taking very good trades in mid lane, maybe playing like Orianna into Syndra. Hmm. All right. And so let's say you're, you're, you're like 85% HP and the enemy Syndra now has no more pots and is like 30% HP with like 20% mana. Like you've just dominated trades. Like you're really just dominating this guy. What's going to happen is that the enemy jungler, they're going to see that situation and they're going to, th- they're going to think to themselves, okay, what do I need to do here? They have to go down that line of thought. They have yep. to, do they need help getting the wave out? Do I need a hobby here? Is the lane just doomed and I can't do anything? Regardless of what they do, they still have to go down that line of thought. Like it's still a thought pattern that they have to go through. If, if that Cinder was full HP, <clears throat> very high HP and just doing winning, winning trades, or even like the lane was just even, the jungler doesn't have to do that. The jungler doesn't have to go down that thought pattern. He could use that mental energy, which is his attention that Dopo is calling it, to think about another play, a creative play. Think about his jungle path. Think about an invade. Think about a, a sneaking him an objective or doing a lane gank bot lane, some weird play. He wouldn't have been able to come up with that. Does that resonate with you? I'm trying to think now as well. It's like, okay, do either of those require different amount of attention it's like okay well i'm still going down a thought process anyway right is there a situation for you nathan where you feel like you need more time to think about the situation okay like because now we're talking about time right so if you look at a lane there'll be some lanes where you just know 100 percent nothing can happen or like or or, or or let's just say the time it takes you for to for you to deduce what the best play would be will only be like two seconds or like a second whereas if it's really heavy trading, you're having to spend more time thinking about what could happen. Because then you're like, oh, is the enemy jungler going to be here then? Like, is where the supports? Like, because then you have to go down. Time's definitely, well, time equals better decision making, right? Yeah. Because you have more time to think about it, yeah. right? I would say when I'm ahead, I, the, because I've been ahead so many times and like I really focus on closing out games while I'm ahead, I've done it so many times. Like, it's like, it's pretty simple. So it doesn't but actually change. It, it's like complexity. So like when a lane is losing, like hard, like I always vision right now, my mid lane's getting hard pushed in and like my bot's getting hard pushed in. It's such a more complicated situation because instead of like, okay, my, my mids, my, I have priority mid, I have priority bot. I just go invade or go take dragon. I have to think, okay, are they going to invade me on my bot camps now? Cause like my grump and my walls are up. Mm. Do I have to go to the other side of the map? do I need to just fight this? Do I not let it up? Or do I need to like, do I think that, because sometimes I call it something a fake priority where even though they have priority, yeah, your landers can still come, yeah, you know? Yeah, so yeah. that's such a complicated situation. It is. That takes a lot of, lot of attention. Okay. Something just came to mind here. And the way, I, when you were saying that, this is what came to my mind is that this is, this is the way I envision the thought process or what it looks like inside a jungler's brain. Yeah. Let's just say there is... A, so imagine like an A4 sheet of paper. And on this A4 sheet of paper, there are dot points. And these dot points, little sentences, are the potential things that you could do mm. in a given moment. Mm. Right? Let's just say when the heavy, when the, the laners are like, your lane is winning, there are, there are, let's just say the wave states are just even across the board. Right? Your bot lane is doing even, your mid lane is even. It's a pretty even state game. Yep. Those dot points, there's a lot more of them, it feels like. It feels like there's just a lot more of these dot points. And then what happens, say you're 
someone takes a really bad trade, your mid laner starts taking really bad trades, these dot points start getting erased. And the way I view it is like, you're going through this list subconsciously in your brain and as you're going through them they're getting erased yeah they are yeah. they're getting erased in front of your brain and yeah. you're like okay yeah that doesn't work that doesn't work that doesn't work that doesn't work and you're trying to find which one of them are remaining which one of these hmm. documents are actually remaining i don't think it's that at all i think it's actually i i, I like ideally like sh- shifts completely there's new ones form well no i like those ones need to be on your list the yeah. conceding camps and not contesting bad fights and stuff like that yeah suddenly it's like it's like it's not so much i would say appearing disappearing like it's like again yeah, they're on a sheet of paper because it's like if you think about it, if you're only on your sheet of paper has what to do when you're ahead where's the no it has everything i'm not? saying it has okay it has everything but you have weight because what i'm what i'm getting at here is that there's there's less options when your laners are behind for That's things right. to do so what i'm saying is that things are getting removed or is it maybe there isn't less options? There's just different options. Yeah, just different. There's different options. I mean, you got to say less options. Okay, maybe it's like not the options that I I want to win the game. <laughs> but you know? there's, there's other there's options, options the same amount, I'm but just not different. Happy. Ones. I'm just not happy just with the options. options. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, we've kind of gone off a tangent there, but um, it's it's definitely interesting to think about. Yeah. Like where my intention is. Like what I'm trying to think right now is where my intention goes when I'm behind. And and. Yeah. And that's what I think it like. I think that's where it crumbles for a lot of players when they're behind. Their attention is going to just wacky places, like things that aren't even related to the game anymore. It's like bot lanes intim, bot lane sucks. Yeah, according to the attention theory. Yeah. If we're going to go even deeper here. Yeah. I mean, the way I'm reading it into Dope is the way he's viewing it is, if you were to have a very bad mental and, and like check out of the game. You're going to start thinking about things. Or let's just say you tilt. Yeah. Oh, tilt, tilt's yeah. such a good... Appli- it's like, it, it if fits you tilt, this perfectly. It, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It like, if you're sense. tilting, that's, that's... I feel like that's the 30 of your Yeah, of your I mean, thing. Like, sometimes it can be like 60, 70, 70. of your, your attention just going out the window. Uh, of course you're disadvantaged. So in terms of just raw attention, mm. think about it. You can't, you can't actively think about, like, your, your bot lane is like OPGG and like how annoying they are and how shit that champion is. You can't think about all this stuff while playing the game. No. At the highest Or, level. I mean, if you want to win. If you want to win. Yeah. Or increase your chances of winning. Yeah. Yeah. I just found that pretty funny. So, yeah. yeah like, yeah. I think it's such a good thing. It's just simply apply. It doesn't make logical sense. You're, you just can't tilt and play at your best. It's just not possible, right? Yeah. Right, so now Dopa goes into the application of it. So we've sort of gone over some examples of application of it. But right. I love this one specifically because okay. this is such yeah, a Yeah, I love this example as because, well. Because, like, these sort of matchups, I, I hate them. I hate playing with this, this shit, by the way, as a jungler because you don't know whether to completely concede it or to help it, right? Yeah. From both ends. From both <laughs> ends of it, right? Okay. So it says, an interesting application of the attention theory is the Vayne versus Singe matchup. Though the matchup itself is a bit outdated... Theoretically, Vayne is hard favored to win against Singe. Obviously, range into melee champ. Singe can't even get on him. Condemn like tumble. Yeah. It's like it's probably it's the worst yeah. matchup. Yeah. Like Vayne counters like t- melee, you know, champs. Yeah. That's the, uh, the champ design, right? So, um, but the strange thing is, is that Singe always w- seems to win the game. Why? This is true as well, by yeah, the way. Yeah. It's true, right? It's because Vayne has to spend so much attention on last hitting and maintaining distance. Vayne has to click every single minion to last hit and clear waves. Singed, however, just have to, has to press Q and fart over the minions <laughs> with ease, right? That means that Singed can spend all 100 of his attention on assessing the situation and making decisions. 
Vane doesn't have enough attention left over to spend on decision-making and ends up making mistakes, which the Singe player doesn't. Um, so, so yeah, the, the thing about this, and it makes so much sense, is when I feel in this game, I feel like that, that Vane has to play perfectly. It's so hard, right? Like, I feel like Singe can just, just wallow around and do whatever. But, but the thing that Dober isn't talking really about here, though, I mean, again, I, this is sort of just like an extra thing that I, I, I think mm. he should have talked about, mm. is that... Vane's also eliminating a lot of singed options if she's playing well, right? I mean, when I just think of this, I just think of champion mastery. That's all I think about. Yeah. Because generally, the only time you're going to see it Vane top is not a Vane top main. It's like, oh my God, this is the perfect Vane game. Yeah. And like, they, they don't, they, they play like one, like five Vane games every year. <laughs> and like, this happens to be one of them. And then, yeah. you know, who the fuck mains Vane top? So you think that's more of the issue on it? It's not so much the, the yeah because the reason Vane has to put so much attention is because is she because he doesn't feel comfortable yeah, with doing all this yeah. stuff. Like if you play Vane all the time, you're not gonna have to think about maintaining distance and tethering and lasting. Like that yeah, should right. just be natural. Yeah, that's sort of flawed then. If you so, really I don't, think about I don't it. really. I mean, I just view this as champion mastery. Interesting. That's actually a good point. So then now he goes talks to. That's why I personally think that one two one tricks or two tricks have a huge advantage. And he considers himself a two-trick. That would be Oriana and Twisted Fate, right? I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah, definitely. They don't have to spend their attention... Okay, so this is the, the, the core of the attention theory, the application. Yeah. Yep. So they don't have to spend any of their attention on last-hitting and using skills. It's because they're so familiar with the champion that no attention is required. I don't even check to see if I last hit su- successfully anymore when I play TF. How many champs of yours out of curiosity would you say you're the same, Curtis? Is that every champ for you right now? You don't need to actually look at the minions? Because he just says it's just for TF. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I know 100% for me, Oriana. You don't need to look at the minions when you last hit successfully. Um. So as soon as, soon as you throw that orb track, you're thinking about the next minion. You already know it's it's taken. How does that work? I'll need to, I'll need to review that because uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Um... I can spend all of my attention elsewhere, which enables me to assess situations faster and make better, correct decisions. It's like breathing. I can multitask efficiently because of my mastery on the champion. In the same vein, new champions always have low win rates when they are released. I mean, again, uh, Mm -hmm. thinking about applying this attention theory makes a lot of sense. People aren't familiar with the champion, so they're forced to use all 100 of their attention. Again, viewing attention as a resource. Piloting the champion. With practice, you can reduce the amount of ret- attention yep. required to do the certain tasks. And he's talking these about the basic this tasks. This is champion mastery. We talk about this all the time. And I, I spot on because the way I view it is at the start when you're playing a champion, if you're not familiar with it, you're just you're actually just playing the champion. You're not playing the game. That's right. Simply put. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just learning the, the champion and you're not learning the game. You can't learn skills and focus on skills like last hitting jungle tracking warding all these sounds because your your attention is purely focused on trading patterns and like tethering and like trying to like you're not thinking about anything about the game itself your side lane awareness your awareness overall is just going down the drain and that's why this is again i said this in my video most people struggle because they they never get to this level of champion mastery they, I call it phase one, two, and three. Yep. They sit in phase two, which is on the borderline where they, you know... So they, they haven't mastered the champion yet. They haven't right? mastered the champion they're yet. They're still going through that process, mm. but they give up. And then they go to another champion and they just continually go through that process. So the next part of it, he goes total attention values. And this is really interesting. I don't really want to talk to you much about this, but now he's talking about age. So as you age, your total attention slowly de- decreases. That's a fact, but... 
the, like how old's Dopa? 26, 27? I actually don't know. Like, this is the thing that like, I'm not sure. It's like, it seems like a lot of theory and not much, not facts. Not facts. Yeah. <laughs> so he's saying pro players in their prime have 200 total attention that they can spend compared to my 100. I can still compete with them because I keep reducing the amount of attention required to do things, but my total attention values are getting smaller. It's inevitable, like how entropy increases. So what do you what do you think about okay. it? I don't think it's just this. I mean, all right, think about a player in their prime versus Dopa now. Like, I mean, is, I, it, is it really? I mean, I just think Dopa, like okay, there's, there's a few things to this. Yeah, I do agree that age has a when you're like fifty or sixty, right? I mean, I, okay, I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't believe this to be the case, really. I mean, I, I, I don't think age affects your attention, total attention. I don't. Oh, just straight up. I mean, when you're 70, come on, Curtis. Oh, okay. We're talking about people who still play league. Yeah, it's like, it's like at least we're thinking 30, about the gap. You know, it's like, like no 30, that's right, the gap. I don't think so. Like, yeah. Because, okay, if you think about it like this, how does that work for like chess players and stuff? How does that work for chess players? Yeah, again, like, I, always, I like bringing it back in terms of age when you talk about one of the most physically demanding and mental sports, Tom Brady, winning champions, okay, chips at 40 well, think years about old. This. Kobe Bryant did does say the physical element he changed. Yeah. So he wasn't as fast as he used to be when he first started. He wasn't as, you know, wasn't as nimble. He couldn't jump as high. He wasn't as strong. Like there was he he noticeably realized his physical part of his game across the years decreased. Yeah. Right? Um but he made up for it in different ways. He had to do certain things or play. He had to get better at the technical stuff to out because he just couldn't just outrun someone. So would you say that he probably increases attention? Yeah, maybe the mental aspect of the game was he was, it was just on Way another level. Because you know what I think is dope, and I, I view this to be the case with so many people. And this is actually a thing in life: is like mm. if you believe it, you can convince yourself for it mm. to exist. So, so, he, I so think he, he's think, convinced himself. Yeah, yeah, I think he's literally convinced. It's like a placebo, not the placebo effect. It's like the opposite of a placebo effect or something. It's like he's literally convinced himself that age has had a massive effect on his level of play, which, it, yes, it may have had a level of, of an effect on him in some way, shape, or form. But I believe that the main reason that age has a big contributing factor on the decrease of players' level of play is pure motivation and mm. enjoyment of the game. Exactly. I think right. that's number one. Yeah. Those two things. Like when you're, when you're in your prime, 18, 19, you're having so much fun because you're good, you're dominating And you everyone. have no mental baggage. No mental baggage. I talk about these young players being so good yeah. in the league because yeah. they have no mental baggage, they have no responsibilities, they're fresh, they're, they're having fun, they love the game, they're not over, overthinking anything. And I think that... Um, I think that that's the more important that, that's thing. That's way more important. I don't think... It's not the attention. Okay. Let's just let's just give Dopa the benefit of the doubt, and let's just say there is a slight shift. It's not going to be from two hundred no, to one hundred. It would be from like two hundred to one hundred ninety or one hundred eighty-five. Yeah. Like I could no way see it being. He's a like half. six years, seven years older than these players. I still think know? most people in their prime in league, yeah. if they if they do it properly, should be like twenty-five. They will be like at their prime. Mm. Now, like as the game progresses, I think the best league players will be like twenty-five because they have they've had experience, they're refined. All this stuff. This is... And this is a problem. This is going to echo through the whole community See, as well. And it's always an echo chamber on, on, on Reddit as well. Everyone's going to be like a 25-year player. It's like, oh, I'm just done. By the way, I always find Reddit, especially Dopa Post, to be the biggest echo chamber. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, they would be. Everyone like, just repeats and, yeah. and believes what he says blindly. And he even says it. at the end of the post, people are going to have different opinions, but people just write over that. Yeah, yeah people are like, no, people are, no this guy... like. Yes, I agree. Dope has a lot of merit to his arguments here, but Absolutely. this is one thing that I kind of want to call him out on. I just don't agree with. Yeah, I can't I agree. agree with this here. 
Like, because this, this is nothing to do with the physical element. Is it? No. I mean, there's no, there's, no, there's no facts out there that say our brain rots and gets smaller <laughs> by 25. You know? Again, he's like eight, nine years old, like, like, I mean, max older than these players. It's nothing. Like, come on, you know, you're still in our 20s. We're really not that, that different. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what the viewers think about this one as well. And you can optimize your attention and level of attention periods as well through diet, exercise, like exactly. this as well. You can increase you it. You can increase it. That's the, that's the bullshit thing I hate about this. Is it's such a fixed mindset. Yeah, it is. Like, okay, the way I view it is like this. If you really wanted something bad enough, like if you just convinced yourself that I could improve at this, like I could improve my attention, you'll find a way to improve it. I, I truly believe that. I truly believe that. If, if Dopa convinced himself that I can improve my attention span or I can even improve my rec- like he'll find a way. Like people can find a way. Humans are very adaptable. Yeah, the way, I mean, the way everything he's talked about in this process, like this is his last season. Like he's like, he's like fading away. That's like his mindset, you know? He's like, he had his prime and he's fading away. Part, okay, I'm going to say something very controversial here. And, I love it, Curtis. Just to, just to put it out there. Get a and I haven't thought about this before. Controversy, Curtis. All right, okay, let's go. Maybe it, it kind of feels like this. It kind of feels like a lot of the things he's saying in his posts mm. are just like trying to justify in his mind why he should retire. That's right. So he doesn't feel bad about it. Yeah. So he doesn't feel like he's missing an opportunity. Mm. That's definitely a fact. It could be an ego protection thing. Like, look, like he might, he might have all these regrets, right? Because it didn't, by the way, every piece of content I watch with Dopa, if he tells, tells his story, you can tell that he's always like, even says it in the post at some point in time, like, who knows what my potential would have been. Mm. And I, I get these vibes from him all the time where he's like reminiscing in the past. Like if I just committed myself to be a world champion, like what could I have done? Mm. I could have been fake or maybe yeah, he's I, jealous and fake. And he says something like, maybe I could have transcended and become like, the, was it the two, the Starcraft players? Like could, I could have been like Bisu or Flash or whatever from like Starcraft. Mm. Like I could have like maybe got to that level. And he has like this regret. He's like an old man with like this regret. And he doesn't really say regret. He doesn't talk about it. But that's the vibe I get from these posts. And, and a part of me thinks he's, he's actually reverse engineering the theory. Mm. He's like, okay, this is what my theory is to make myself feel better because mm. I'm like diminishing. Mm. Like, let's, just, let's actually come up with some theories that really back up my point. Now, okay, that's a very controversial take here. And that might not be the case whatsoever. But I just want to put that out there because, I mean, people do it all the time. Mm. People, humans by nature, again, they're designed to, again, it, it makes ego protection. Because protection. think about it, if you start failing and losing in solo queue for some weird reason, right? You would want to create up any fucking reason to, to tell yourself why you lost. So it doesn't, so it's not just like, I didn't give in max amount of effort. Because no one wants to put in a max amount of effort and fail, even though that's what that's you should so do. That's so painful. It's so like, oh man, it's like, I just suck. Because then you have to accept that you suck. Yeah, then you have you to know? accept that you just failed. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really. This doesn't sit well with me, something about it, but um, I do like the end point though, which was I can still compete with them because this kind of feels like, again, this is all like so theoretical and it's just kind of bullshit. It's like mm. the only reason I can compete is because I'm reducing the amount of attention required to do things, but my total attention values are getting smaller, which it makes sense in theory, but mm. it seems so ridiculous. Mm. Like it's just a bullshit narrative that helps make himself feel better about, you know, this whole thing. I mean, it makes sense, but that's just... I feel like this has nothing to do with attention values. It's like, that's just champion mastery. Like, he's getting so good at Oriana and Twisted Fate that um, that it, it requires barely any 
attention at all to do all the to play TF and Oriana to a very high level. And he's played the game for so long, he doesn't have to think about all these basic things. So, um, and also to throw this out there, imagine if Dopa was still absolutely obsessed about the game and really enjoyed it. Like, was just obsessed. So you think he's fun. not right now? Oh, I think he's obviously to some point kind of beaten down. Yeah, and this is, this is why I believe league players don't last long. It's not the physical element. I think there's a mental, there's a mental aspect of like burnout. I do believe that's the case because of the thousands of games of league you have to play. And yeah. I spoke about that in my recent video. Yeah. But the main one really is fun and motivation because the fun and motivation wears off. It's very hard to, to sustain that for a long time. What was your motivation, Curtis, when you climbed? Because you know how you said you've, you've been, you felt like you've played the best you played. I just set a goal, dude. I just had this really ambitious goal. Yeah. And a part of me, I guess a part of me just thought like, it'd be interesting to see what I could do if I really tried. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird, eh? Because you, you've played thousands of games. Yeah. But you were motivated, man. You were excited. Yeah. You were having fun. Yeah. And I actually improved. And I feel like if I didn't, wasn't motivated, like there's no way I would have been able to have the results I did. So yeah, who knows, dude? What if Dopa was super obsessed and motivated? Mm. What could he achieve? Mm. So yeah, anyway. All right, so move on to the next part, the pro gamers and the champion mastery. Pro gamers and champ mastery. Okay. Yeah. So he says, people who have understood my concept theory and attention theory might be able to guess my next topic. He's going to talk about pro gamers. So people think that pro gamers are people who can always pick the optimal champion according to the situation, but in reality, they are only people who try to achieve that. Even pro gamers aren't safe from the curse of mastery. That applies to all pro pro gamers, even world champions. Any thoughts on that statement, Curtis? Do we agree with that? Um, Is it your job as a pro player to master a champion or is it not it's just not possible to master too many champions well again I spoke this in my last video the difference between a pro player and the average player is the amount of champions they can play to a high level you know they're not going to be as good as the one trick but they, they should all, they should get a lot of champions to a relatively high level so why are they not as good as the one tricks because they put in like well, if we go on to this let's just read the, this because he actually talks about I was just about to bring yeah. that up this is why he brings he that up he talks about it alright so I'll keep just reading through yeah. it um, you probably have experience asking friends whether they can play a certain champion. How did they answer? People usually say something along the lines of, well, I've played it before, so I guess I can play that champion. You know how that game ends as well as I do. <laughs> they have very low mastery of the champion. Let's say that mastery can be measured on a scale of 1 to 10. And this is what I really like. He's got a scale of 1 to 10. Again, I love that he like, puts into numbers. I think this is really good to apply to our coaching mm, as well, right? It's good. I want to I do this more. My score of 10 is only given to a few selected people. Peak, the Shires Callista, 2020 Showmakers TF, 2019 Chovies Akali. Do you get the idea? Mastery 10 is the highest level that a programmer can achieve. It's at the level where they can first pick the champ regardless of matchup and win. A mastery difference of one lets you get ahead in an even matchup. A mastery difference of two lets you go even or even win-losing matchups. A difference of three or more makes matchups meaningless. Most pro gamers can get to mastery seven by playing 50 to 100 games on a certain champion. Getting to mastery eight is harder as it requires an innate understanding of the champion. Getting to mastery nine isn't achievable just through hard work. Getting to 10 requires blessing from the heavens. Your ideas and views of how to play the game and the champion design have to synergize perfectly. 
Most challenger one tricks mastery lie between eight and nine. That's why they are so favored. Pro gamers have to expand their champion pool because against a mastery eight Yasuo, a mastery seven Renekton is more efficient than a mastery nine TF. That's why pro gamers have to get all meta champions to mastery seven. If you have signature picks with mastery above that, you become a top tier pro. You can only maintain high mastery on a certain number of champions. Again, going, this is what we're just going to talk to. If you don't play a certain champion enough, your mastery starts to fall. Yep. You can only practice a certain amount of time every day, say 14 hours of practice max. We can argue whether that's efficient or not. So the number of champions you can maintain high mastery on is limited. Yep. Yeah, I, I love this. I really like this. I mean, it, it ties into exactly what I said in my video, where a pro player has to have a lot of champions to a reasonably high level. And I'll say this is very accurate, mastery seven. Um, if, if I think about a Mastery 7 player playing a terrible, the worst possible matchup in like Platinum, because they're three Mastery levels ahead, yeah. then they instantly win. Yeah, yeah. They still will win the matchup. Yeah. I would say that I really like his point here and what he says, you know, if, you, if you're versus a Mastery 8 Yasuo, but you're a Mastery 7 Renekton, it doesn't matter because the matchup's so favored. That's like, right. That's where the counterpicks really come into play. Yeah. So it's better to have a Mastery 7 Renekton than a Mastery 9 Twisted Fate because Twisted Fate into Yasuo is just so hard. <laughs> yep. Right, I, I really like that. Um, and and he says here, and this is this has really resonated with me. If you have signature picks with mastery above that, you become a top tier pro. If we think about in Oceania anyway, think about players that had a really terrifying champion. It's like we're playing against in Solo Oh, my chances of winning this are instantly well, lower. Like, think about in competitive though, with yeah. the pro players. Yeah. Remember Fantix Vlad in season seven, mm. 2017? Mm. Like it didn't matter. Or was it Fancy or Stevens Vlad in 2018? It would have been Stevens Vlad. In 2018. Um, yeah. Richard, Richard played Corky. Fancy played Corky. There's Corky. There's certain t- pro players. Yeah. That's like... And Victor. And they were at a, such a high level of mastery on those champions that it, it didn't matter if they got counterpicked. That's right. Because they would win the even matchups and they could even win some of the counter matchups. And I feel like that is the difference between the top tier pros. It feels like the top tier pros can have sometimes two or three or like three meta high elo meta picks at like an at like an eight or nine and have all these other champs at a seven you know and um yeah it's all about the management and and this is the thing dude being a pro player is so hard you have to be incredibly good at learning at learning you just be you just have to have mastered how to learn champions and have such a natural feel for the game. You have to understand. You have to make things click. And this is why, by the way, if you are interested in becoming a pro player, say it's a goal. Say you're a young kid. You've got to be good at picking up new champions. You've got to have your core champion that you're very comfortable with. And that's going to be your Mastery 8, Mastery 9 sort of champion. But it's better to get used to the, the process of learning early on and have a well-rounded champion pool. Because if you only play mages all the way up to, you know, Challenger. When you do have to diversify to Assassins, to an Akali, to an Echo, to a LeBlanc, whatever it is, because those champions are very viable and competitive, you are going to have a hard time. And this is why, tying in, remember we had that discussion about Power of Evil? Mm. This is why I don't rate him as a really high-level pro player. Because he only plays one style. Well, because think about it, the best pros have, you know, the way I view Power uh, Power of Evil... He doesn't even have Champion Mastery 7 of... Things like oh, no, his ass is done. He has like he has like three or four really good mages that are at like eight or nine, maybe. 
like eight, nine, maybe one, some of them even nine. So, um, so would you say most pro players in actual pro games they're probably playing? He thinks it's like I think champion must be seven or yeah, eight, seven, yeah, seven or eight, yeah. Which is so interesting, isn't it? You see how there's the next level. There's always the next yeah. level to these champs just through. Which time. actually makes so much sense, by the way. Like, because I so you see those like challenger one tricks on these servers, whether it's like a random challenger Katarina or a random challenger Kale, mm. and you always think to yourself. What the general public don't understand is that, yes, these players can be really good at this champion and they can beat pros with these champions. But this, even if they would dominate a pro player in this one game, they're so much worse than the pro player that it, it doesn't even matter. That's right. People, they're getting carried by their champion mastery. They're getting mastery. carried by their champion mastery. Mm. Like they, they literally are so much worse at the game overall, it's not even close. Yes, a challenger, one trick, pike mid and NA can dumpster Bjergsen in a game. But Bjergsen is so far ahead of that guy that, that like as a League of Legends mid laner, it's not even close. You talk about it. Let's I mean bring it back to lower yellow. Katarina, Diamond Four Katarina player. Yeah, but I do think there are certain champions that exacerbate that gap. Got it. Yeah. Like if it's a two point gap, it can feel like a three point gap. Yeah. That's just because of the snowball nature of the champion. But anyway, this was pretty much to wrap up this whole point. I mean, I I like the attention theory. It's basically what we have spoken about within our videos in terms of the importance of champion mastery. I think it's a cleaner way of putting it, though. So the simple put is you, you master a champion. You don't have to think about the fundamentals. It's like last hit in. It, like it's, how it's much damage memory. do my abilities All do? All it is muscle memory. Essentially, attention yeah, span is muscle memory. Yeah. So you can afford to put more energy otherwise. But the, I would say my, my favorite takeaway of this part two, this entire thing, was how your attention can be dragged in other places, dragged to other areas because of other people or things happening in the game. Oh my God, this actually reminds me of something. Holy shit. What is it, Curtis? Oh my God. This oh is something no. I really wanted to get off my chest. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in my video, I spoke about why I hate amateur tournaments. I spoke Ooh. about why I really don't like people playing yeah. any like low-level tournament. If yeah. they really want to get good at the game. Yeah. If you want to play for fun, fine. It's fun. I love doing amateur tournaments if you're, if you're a yeah. fun, for fun yeah. player. But if you genuinely want to improve, the reason this is the case, right? You can have weaknesses compensated by you in competitive play. So let's, let's take this for example. If a skirmish were to break out in a competitive game, whether you're playing in like with your platinum friends or dime, whatever it is, your jungler or your, the teammates that are already in that skirmish are probably going to tell you it's a lost fight or one fight. We want you to come. We don't want you to come. They're going to tell you. They're going to give you so much information. Your mm. jungler is going to tell mm. where the enemy jungler mm. is. Mm. That your sideline is going to tell you who's winning trades, mm. how heavy they're trading. There's all this information that you're getting. Tying this directly into the attention, the attention theory. You you can you can afford to have all of your attention just focused on your lane and your job only, because you don't need to have your attention elsewhere. Because it's just carry it's just, it's made so much easier. What would have otherwise taken thirty of your attention now is only taking five. Just processing what your jungler just said. Hold on, hold on. Let me just be a devil advocate yeah. here. Doesn't that person then have to put his attention towards his communication as well? Because if I think instantly of a jungler, if I'm, I play worse in competitive right. because I am not used to communicating the information that I'll generally just. Yeah, I would say that's things. an element. Of, that's that's definitely one thing I haven't thought about, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, 
that throws a spanner in the works. But it's still, I think my my point still stands here. So you think it's it's such a? Well, well, I think the the point there is such an unrealistic environment for how you're going to get good through solo queue. Well, what I'm getting at is that you are going to be. What what solo queue is great at is teaching you to be adaptable, and to get very efficient with your use the usage of your attention. So. Think about it like this, Nathan. Let's just say, let's just say, yes, communication take takes up like a permanent minus ten. That might okay. just be the case. Yeah, but it's still easier than in solo queue. It like outweighs it. Yeah, because saying. if you think about it, if there's like a, like people missing, they're not communicating mm. where the jungler mm. is, is is going. They're not communicating if the support's missing. You have to figure this shit out by yourself. Because you don't, you're not getting this information a lot of the time, or it's unreliable, and so you have to look for it anyway because you can't trust your teammates, right? So what I'm getting at here is that you have to learn to be very efficient with the way you look at the minimap. You have to be very efficient with how you process process that information. Whereas in competitive, you can get away with it. You don't have to be efficient with it. It's just given to you on a platter. Mm. So this is why I, I believe Solikum makes you a better player because then when it does come to competitive play, this transitions over very nicely. So when you're even more efficient on top of already an efficient form of communication. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. I always recommend... If, I mean, you, again, you, you're doing it for fun. You're not really improving as a player individually. And you always say you got to help yourself before you can help others. I'm sure there's no doubt in my mind that you could become a master of communication through if you only play members of tournaments, but then you're putting your attention away from, again, going back to attention theory, being actually good at the game, is that, which allows you to communicate better because you understand more about the and game. And then also, in order to be a good competitive player, you have to have a large champion pool. Yeah. And you can't have a large champion pool if you're gold or platinum because you're just not good enough at the game. And champion mastery is what allows you to learn the game. That's right. Because remember, That's exactly you're right. learning the, you need to be able to learn the game through the, the champion. champion. You don't just learn the champion. All right. So you want to go into part three here? Well, you love this part here. Coaches, head coaches, and drafting. So we're moving more to the pro scene here. I mean, I, mean, I agree with this. So you just straight up just flat out agree. I mean, let's go through it anyway. Definitely. But I, I mean, I, I like where I like a lot of the things he says here. All right. I, I might just go through this one. So blah, blah, blah. I've often thought about drafts while watching pro games, and I have a lot to say about it. Before I start, there's something I want to say, just in case you get me wrong. Just he's just clarifying that it's not from CV Max or CV Max was he's a, a friend of some coach. Yeah. Um. Okay. I personally can't understand the concept of being taught league by a diamond or master player. If I was a pro and some guy came to me and said, "Kiana is pretty OP these days. Why don't you practice Kiana?" I would obviously say yes, but. Would that mean I actually took his advice to heart? I don't think so. From my perspective, I can't fathom how a player would truly be able to take that advice. Despite that, all teams seem to need a coach and a head coach, and most players seem to agree on that, so why would teams need them? My conclusion is that a head coach is kind of like a manager, and that coaches are people who take various opinions and merge them together. League of Legends are in their teens and 20s, so many of them don't have... He's talking about pro players and mainly in their teens or 20s, so they don't have, they're not very mature. They might not want to get out of bed. They might not want to practice. The head coach is the guy that solves all of these problems. He makes them scrim at certain times, forces them to practice as they should, and manages their lives. Coaches are people who should take in the opinions of the players and keep them all on the same page. Okay. So before we go on any further here, so is that the role of a coach? So I guess right here is trying to define no. the role of the coach. And do people have it backwards in the scene? Okay, there's a few things I agree and a few things I don't agree with okay. here. First yep. of all, yep. I do agree that getting coached like lane from someone that isn't at a very similar level to you just doesn't make sense. 
That's why I'm so passionate about being a high elo coach. Just yeah. like Dopa says. I'm yeah. if I'm not a challenger player, mm. if I'm lower than the person I'm coaching, why would someone listen to me? Mm. It just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Yes, I'm not gonna be I might not be exactly the same, but at least I'm in the same I'm I'm relatively close. Like if I coach a challenger in EU, he who's like eight hundred LP, you know, he's gonna be eight hundred. If I was on EU, I'd probably I'd I reckon I'd be at least around five, six hundred. Like we're not that far away from each other. Where he can actually respect my opinion. But um, or whatever it is, which I'd love to go to EU and actually try that. But but anyway, what I'm getting at here is that I believe rank, if you are to coach lane and role, be a role coach, uh, rank is very important. Now, one thing I also agree with here is that there are one of the roles of, I'm not going to say the coach, I would say there's a manager. There should always be a team manager. Who does this sort of stuff? In terms of like players not waking up for scrims or and stuff schedules and, time. Schedule. and getting the logistics of the operation, yeah. essentially making sure that the practice runs smoothly. I'd yeah. say that is a role. I'm not going to say that's a coach though. Mm. I'll say that's more of like a team manager. Yeah. Now, then he touches on something that I really agree with. Coaches are people who take the opinions of players and keep them all on the same page. So I think I've made this quite public before. One, and I think I, I spoke about this in the last podcast, is that my theory of coaching, one of my personal philosophies, is all about alignment. I believe the, at the most fundamental level, the role of a coach is to get all players on the same page, be completely aligned, both with the way they view the game, the way they view the meta, the way they view skirmishes, the way they view lanes playing out, everything. Because if there's alignment, when it comes to a situation, players are going to be on the same page and they're going to make the similar decisions in which um, everything's more decisive, plays just work better, there's more opportunities, there's less confusion, just across the board, pretty self-explanatory. I do believe that a coach at the pro level, at this head, we're talking about a head coach now, they don't need to get into the nitty-gritty about the lanes. They don't need to get super, super detailed. A lot of the time, they are leading discussion. They are getting everyone's point of view from around the team, saying, oh, you know, your top laner may think, like it says in this post, your top laner may think Clissa top is just OP. And then your, your your coach, as a coach, your job is to think, all right, if my top laner is saying Clissa is really OP, but then my jungler is saying Kha'Zix is really OP, and then my bot lane really wants to play, you know, MF Leona or whatever it is, your job as a coach is to, to, to really make sense of this information, to come up with a coherent strategy. Because the players... They're only focusing on themselves a lot of the time. They need to focus on themselves as, a, as an individual player. They're going to think about what's best for them as an individual. The coach's responsibility is to take this information and make sense of it. How do I create a strategy given my top laner wants to play Kalista? Because if I just mindlessly listen to all of my players and it's like, yeah, let's just draft Kalista, Kazakh, uh, MF, and Azir mid, the comms is going to be like ridiculous and it won't make any sense. You need to make sense of this information to create strategy and form a team identity. Okay, so I believe a coach has to have a very good understanding of the macro game, how team compositions operate, how pressure and resources have to be allocated across the map, and obviously have to understand communication, all these things, to, to really create coherent strategy. Um, so yeah, I, I really do believe that. And he's saying, of course, I'm not saying that coaches and head coaches are unimportant. Being able to keep them from fun keep them functioning and running smoothly is important but i'm hoping i'm just saying that coaches and head coaches are not people who have the powerful effect of in-game results because they're obviously not in the game so he doesn't think they're as powerful as people think they are essentially 
So okay, what is your so so all we, essentially the point he's trying to get at here is that coaches aren't as I don't think coaches and head coaches I think in any real sport will have a, he uses the word powerful effect again yeah. a team is a team but you're always looking for one percenters if that coach can somehow make the sense of something that just helps you guys push forward or even I mean even in terms of I think um, I mean you talk about him he talks about you know individual coaching like you're going to miss things it's like having other people's perspectives hmm. I think even I mean obviously to an extent like a lower elo hmm. player is like, don't you and I say we actually learn off some lower elo yeah. players sometimes you can definitely yeah you can it's not like you can't learn but the, the amount you're going to learn as a pro player is very minimal. That's but sometimes right. those things do matter. Um, but, you know, you're going to learn more of a high yearly player. But I agree that I think that people emphasize draft coaches way too much. Yeah, draft coach is a bit weird, eh? Draft, I mean, I, I do, you know how you do say it's like, well, he's going to make sense of the, the whole thing. But at the end of the day, pro players know what's a good comp and what's a bad looking comp. You know, in Champs League, he'll dodge and stuff, right? So like, I would say that the emphasis on draft coaching, I would say, yeah, I think coaches, it should come from the players. Yes to an no, extent, though, because again, if, we, if we're going to get very, let's get very into the nitty gritty here. Okay. A player can't really think about a holistic draft. Yeah, it's just not his job, right? It's not their job. Yeah. They need to think about their role in performing as an individual. It's not their responsibility to think. It's too much. Like already playing at the pro level is very hard. Very, very well. Hard. Going back to the champion mastery we spoke about before, he's got to freaking he's got to figure out how to get to champion mastery ten somehow it's on like hard, four or five man. champs, you know. And, and so I, I think there should be someone. And okay, yes, there should be a drafting coach that works alongside the head coach, but it's not what it's not what you think they do. They do something different to what you think. Or I, I'm hoping they do something different to what people think they should do. They don't just come in and say, you know, this is what the draft's going to be, guys. What we've been practicing. This is what we're going to play each week. Blah blah blah. It's like all right. The way, I, again, I view it is like they're going to take all the opinions from all the players and make a coherent thing of it. They just, they're just taking the information from the players. View it as like a conductor of an orchestra. The conductor doesn't play any of the instruments. They just gather, they, they use each of them as tools to create a beautiful piece. That's right. That's all synchronized mm. and all works together very mm. well. That's the way I view uh, mm. like a, a coach in a way, like mm. a, a conductor. Mm. Of the operation. Mm. But then, you know, I think there's some, there's some qualities and what Dope is not really touching on here. And like you said, he has like this fixed mindset between... between sorry. Well, he's very focused on individual improvement. He's never thinking... He's not thinking... No, but I think picture. he's even tunneled in on... on and he doesn't believe because he says he's actually never got coaching. Yeah. But he, he thinks that like people can't help him. He doesn't understand how people can help yeah, him. Because, you right. know, he has a fixed mindset. Again. I guarantee you... Like if... If Dopa had a very open like growth mindset, if I spoke to him and watched his game, I could like help him figure out something different or mm. view the game in a different way mm. that may make him see the matchup in a different way or optimize the way he plays a given mm. matchup. Mm. Just by asking high quality questions, mm. I could probably do that. Mm. You're confident you could do that? I think I could, yeah. Not to say I would know specifically what to do better, but I would ask him questions. Okay, here in this situation... Um, what made this the most optimal play in your mind? Or in this situation, you went for this play. What made you, what made you think that doing this wasn't the correct play? And just get very detailed. Just get very specific about things. And like over time, you'd, you'd really, he would really start to question why he's making decisions. And I believe I could, I could like help him 
in some way, shape, or form. But he would obviously have to have a growth, op- like an open mindset, an open mind to. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped themselves. Exactly. Um, you can't lead a horse to water and force it to drink. Definitely. So I think that he he's disregarding the, some elements of coaching. I mean, a lot of elements of coaching, but I also think he does make a good point. Um, but a, a part of this, Nathan, we know this. Coaching is still completely... Un- it's not solved. Yeah, I mean, we... we it's just that it's, it's We know a lot of great coaches in other traditional sports. It takes years, dude. It takes decades to figure this stuff dude, out. We're literally at like the fetus stage of like <laughs> coaching. Of coaching. No one understands yet. We're still just learning it. Everyone's just trying to figure it out and have a crack. Well, even everyone who is randomly a coach in league is just they have no actual coaching experience. Yeah. In any right. other aspect than like they're good at League of Legends. And that's fine. That's, that's where fine. it's going to start. That's where it's going to start. Are, yeah. the, we're at the beginning of so it. So you where... can't realistically have the expectation that people are good coaches right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. They could be good. They could be good uh, in, in comparison to the times we're in right now. Like good now will mean atrocious <laughs> in 20 years 20s, from now. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. So anyway, going further on this, he says... Uh, Coaches are people who take in the opinions of the players and keep them all on the same page. Let's say the t- team's top laner thinks that Clister is OP and only tries to play Clister all the time. The coach would then bring the team together, prepare his theories behind the game. Then he would talk about the bot lane meta, talk about the importance of champion pools. Then he would suggest to the teams that the team that other champions should be would be needed here. The important thing here is that he can only suggest his opinion. The players would need to talk about it, and in the end, would all need to come to the same conclusion. If the coach wasn't there, then the players wouldn't come to the same conclusion as often. A coach is there, is there to stop in-game conflict in, in-game between the players, which makes sense, kind of what we spoke about. Um, before teams go to play in tournaments, they should all have the same set of concepts. Through the coach, they should all have the same understanding of how to play out of the game. Sorry, sorry how to play out the game. Whatever happens in-game, there's nothing the coaches can do to help. If the opponent brings out a sudden joker pick that nobody was expecting, it's up to the players to play out the game. Um, so that is a different aspect of league, is that most other traditional sports, the coach, team sports, the mm. coach has an impact. Even during the, during game, the game. Yeah, they can talk during the game. NFL, NBA... Yep. They can call for timeouts. Yeah, it's so cool. But do you should actually be able to call timeouts in league? What do you think about that? Out of curiosity, Ooh, what do you think a, about that's that? A, that's a that's a that's a controversial take, Nathan. Like the coach just says, we're not playing this, this early game correctly, or is it you, you can't because the flow of the game is just different? Know, uh, Maybe you can't. That's such an interesting topic. Uh, I think it would ruin. I think it would really would ruin, ruin the spectator. The, because again. Think about right. They want. They don't want the game to be flawless. They want it to be sloppy. They want there to be mistakes because that's what, like, that's what makes it exciting. So you think you? So you're actually saying that the timeout actually would make a game flawless, make it game perfect. Well, I think it would decrease the amount of mistakes and it would decrease you, 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 the you, amount you, of opportunities. You, you, for you would have to, obviously. Oh wait, maybe you wait. You actually can't because both teams can see each other, so you could give free information. It's like you could. When, when, when could you possibly... They have to rule no, down when no, you time you'd, out. No, you would have to only be able to see your point of view. So the coach would only be able to... You would have to be like in a pro, 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 yeah, like protective a room or a box. Yeah, okay, yeah. you're right. Holy shit, that's confusing. That's crazy. I mean, that's a whole other level of complexity, but... 
Because that's, that's different. Traditional sports is fine. Everyone, everyone else has all everyone's perspective all the time. Because all the information is out there. Yeah. Similar to chess. Yeah. You know, all the information is on, on the pitch. Oh, League's a fascinating game. Isn't it is it, a fascinating it's game. It's so man. different. It is. Plus, I actually think it could come at a detriment, by the way. Because a player could like have this information and be reading the opponent, and that yeah. just goes out the window. Yeah. Because you get a read, you get a feel for the way the player's playing, you know? And what about coaches standing behind or literally being on the cons oh, during the that's game? Like, that's a Counter-Strike. Yeah, a like Counter-Strike. Oh, what do you no. think about that? Oh, it's no. interesting. It's weird. That's weird, isn't it? Definitely very Imagine weird. Imagine if it gets to that stage where the coach is on stage, dude. It's so weird. That would be interesting. Um. So anyway, that's coaching. I mean, to, to cap up the co- wrap up the coaching thing, I mean, I think that... um. TLDR, coaches are probably more impactful than he thinks they are in a different way. Mm. And I think that given his lack of experience with coaches, he, he may not know what they have to offer. And and also, dude, Dopa just might be one of those anomalies, you know, who just doesn't get much value from coaching. Mm. Comparatively to other players, mm. I mean, I I don't know. Well, again, you could also say it's like, well, no one's got proper coaching. They could have maybe surpassed Dopa. Yeah, who knows? If they had good coaching, you who know. Nice. Um. Anyway, so the next one he talks about is three in a row, dude. Okay, I I don't actually want to read this. I think we just riff off this because we know this one so but, well. Yeah, I mean, in series, grand final oh. series, we played playing the same champion multiple this times. This is one of my biggest pet peeves in competitive play. Yeah. Holy shit! How many times? <laughs> How many times have we... we didn't lose because of <sighs> this. Right, let, let's playing let, it again. Let's actually set the scene for the, for the listeners right now. Let's, let's literally... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase what a conversation sounds like at the pro level. I would say this happens in every region, in every level of play. Ready? You're in a best of three or a best of five. And the opponent, first game, say the enemy mid laner picks Victor. And you lost to this Victor the first game, and the Victor did pretty well. You know, it didn't we'll say it won't? It didn't like one v nine or anything, but it did pretty well. It was a pretty solid pick that it was had a lot of impact. Mm-hmm. The next game, oh sorry, the, the, the after that game, you go into the back, you know, the, your your little room with your coaching staff and everyone. You talk with the team, and then the coach says generally, you know, okay, I think we should maybe like, um, I think we should probably ban that Victor and play something else. Let's let's change the strategy. But then the player, a lot of the time, okay, it can actually go both ways. It can sometimes come from the coach and it can sometimes come from the player. But let's actually go through the player's perspective first. Usually the player's like, nah, nah, it was fine. The victim was not the problem. Like, I can deal with it. Like, it, it wasn't that bad. Trust me. And then you go into the next game. They pick Victor again and then you lose again. And again, the victor was very impactful, but it wasn't like a 1v9. But, you know, it was a very strong, solid pick. And then again, the player says the same thing. He's frustrated and maybe his ego's involved and he's a little bit pissed off and he can't really see clearly um, and he doesn't really understand that play. But he said, no, we don't need to ban it. Trust me. Like, it's, it's not the problem. It's just a, he'll like, the conversation will say, no, it's not this. And what the player doesn't understand, and this is the coach's responsibility here, is that, and what Dopa talks about here, is that, that player is so comfortable on that champion now. Like, he's now won that game got extra confidence on it. He's, he feels, he's feeling it. He, and, and he, according to like, again, similar to his, uh, what does he call it? Like the, um, let's say there's multiple reasons why it's effective to play the same champion again. 
there's the the attention theory obviously you know you don't have to think as much because you're so confident you can think about creative plays i would also say that your team also knows how to play with that champion very well right they, they're just familiar with how to play around that champion it's just it just makes so much sense to get rid of that champion mm. just to switch it up mm. you you want to make the game as you know how we'll say you want to make the game as comfortable as possible for your teammates you want to make the enemy as, as uncomfortable as possible yeah that's that's also what you got to try and find a way to do and yes in theory that pick wasn't the problem and that wasn't the only reason why you lost but it was a big it still was a problem and even if it was a slight problem switch it up regardless Make it chaotic. Make it sloppy. Don't give him the opportunity to get comfortable and um, and abuse it multiple times in a row. And I've made this mistake before. When I was in a best of five, first two games, we reversed the same thing. Game three, I'm like, fuck it. We're banning it. Even if the player doesn't want to ban it, I said, no, we're banning it. End yeah, of story. Yeah. See, and that's, then we win. When a, that's when a coach comes in. That's when a coach... A coach supportive. shouldn't even let it happen in the game too. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they should listen because the player... They have to, the coaching staff have to remember that the player is incredibly emotional after the game. They're not logical anymore. It's very hard for a player to be logical. Well, well, you didn't touch on Curtis in that thing before. It's a good example of what Coma said, saying there was a clip from 2016 World Semis where Coma says, I know that we didn't lose because of the MF, MF pick, just like you guys, but I'm going to ban it anyways. That's yeah. a game where Bang and Wolf were too stubborn to admit that they lost exactly. because of MF support. So Coma used his authority to override their opinions and banned MF anyway. Yeah, I've done that before as well in situations. And sometimes you have to do it. And um, I think the attention theory, the confidence, the momentum, your teammates being comfortable with it, everything, that's where... Um, and again, your coach, you're the coach backstage. You, you're able to see how the game unfolded in the most objective way possible. That's right. The player in the game is only going to see it through their view. Their lens. Their lens. They're only seeing the game through one lens. They, they're not seeing how all of the small advantages that lane got contributed to the win. So... Always change strategy within a best of five as much as make possible. Make it messy, make, make it, it seem uncomfortable. I have nothing more to comment on that one. I, I don't have much experience as you guys yeah. in terms of those situations. It's pretty self-explanatory as well. All right, so now he talks about achieving rank one eight seasons in a row. Actually, by the way, there was actually one uh, one other thing here. Hmm. Going back to the three in a row. Yeah, there was one another at the bottom of it. Um, he was saying that... Um, I think that... Okay, so you're saying at Worlds, the teams that won Worlds all had concepts that were different from those of other Worlds teams. At that level, I think the difference in execution becomes somewhat minimal as all the players are of a certain similar caliber. The much bigger difference is in how they understand the game. Luck also plays a big role at Worlds because of the curse of mastery. If the champions that you excel at are meta, then you have an advantage over the competition. If your play style fits the meta, then you have a much higher chance to win. Pro players can't just change their play style according to the meta, so you have to be lucky enough to be in a meta where you can shine. And, and, and that is something to think about. There is an element of luck, and I do agree with this with Worlds. Yeah. It could be like the right meta for you. Mm. You think about it. You're going to mm. have two or three champions in your champion pool with like eight, nine mastery, right? And for Showmaker, he had 10 on Twisted Fate. If that happens to be meta, the enemy team have to ban that every single game. Mm. So you're gaining a huge advantage in draft. You know, Curtis, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's hard to say, but it's like, I mean, does, did anyone win worlds that like you didn't think deserved it? Who like did a miracle run? I mean, you could maybe say Samsung. 
I don't, I don't think it's that. I don't think that it's that. It's not about not deserving, and it's that if the meta were to be completely different, they have more advantage. A different team would have a yeah. I could yeah. I could easily see a world in which the meta was much more like I'm not gonna. I don't know the teams well enough, but I could see a world in which like the meta just suited G two perfectly. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And you then know? they won worlds. Yeah, I could like I could see well. that. Yeah. Like I don't know what that meta is. Yeah. I don't know enough about their champion pool, but yeah. like that just makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Or it could be a combination of the meta suiting one team and not suiting another team. So not only are you getting better, they're getting worse. They're getting worse, yeah. That can actually happen as well. Yeah. But again, I I, I don't know enough about the champions to comment on that. Um, Let's move on to the next bit now. Yep. You want to take this one, Nathan? So achieving rank one eight seasons in a row, which we talked about. So essentially here he's saying that he's, again, sort of think going back to the, we think he's a bit of a fixed mindset here, but he's essentially saying that it's taking him longer and longer. So back in season three and four, he feels like he could hit rank one or did in any time he felt like it. Um, it took me three weeks in season five, four weeks in season six, six weeks in season seven, eight weeks in season eight. Imagine just saying that. It's like, oh, it just took me eight weeks to get rank one. But this is bullshit. In season nine, I was rank one at the beginning of the season, so it's hard to give me exact. And then this season, it took him three months to finally get rank one. And then he says, you can see that it's taking me longer and longer every time, and that's because I'm not good enough anymore. I don't deserve rank one, but I forced myself no, across the finish line. this is just bullshit. He's conflating so many things. Yeah. He's only viewing this through the lens of one variable. Yeah. He's saying, rank one. it's taking me longer every year, so this must mean I'm getting worse. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah. That's you know you could actually you could I could easily create an an argument to say that he's gotten better, and he's actually way better than what he yeah. was, and this must mean he's insane yeah. if he's able to still get rank one now. I could easily make an argument. It's for just that. like there was just a lot worse well, players. Okay, so think about harder. think about all the other variables he's not talking about here. Yeah, the player base, the amount of available resources and coaching out there. The overall intensity incentivization for players wanting to get rank one as, as the years go on, because the the economics of the situation. There, I mean, you could there's countless. There's a lot of variables you need. So to many variables. He's very yeah, tunneling on. He's tunneling on one. Yeah, you're right. Yes, there may be like one element of it, but I would say all of these other ones make it much. Mm. Of no shit, it's not going to take you the exact same amount of time it did to get season rank one in season three than it does in season ten. No shit. It doesn't make much sense, does it? That argument is completely invalid to me. Yeah. And this is nonsense. So I'm just going to completely shut Dope it down for that one. But I do agree that um, he says here that he thinks soul Q rank and actual skill level aren't closely related. I, I actually, I don't agree with that. I say they are closely related, but they're not exactly the same. The rank one player doesn't necessarily mean you're the best player on the server. But you're pretty fucking good and you're definitely up there. So yeah. it's pretty close. If you can get rank one, you're like, this is not a, pl- a problem play- players have. If they can get challenger, you're pretty good. Yeah. You know, so you're again, contention for being a pro player. I swear Doper right now, he's just, a lot of these points, he's trying to just like, he's trying to create, he's like trying to push an agenda mm. rather than being open-minded about all this stuff. Like, to be honest with you, I've actually kind of lost a bit of respect after reading Interesting, yeah. Yeah, going deeper into it and thinking yeah. about it objectively. Yeah. Like, I've actually lost a bit of respect here. It's like, he's not talking about these topics. He's not giving them, he's not looking at other sides. He's, not, like, he's, yeah. not, he's, not, he's not really put, laying he's out of, proper he's arguments of, He's here. sort of copying out every time, well, this is just my perspective, this is my Yeah, but that's, no, you're not, this is not actually your perspective. This is your agenda you're trying to push to yourself mm. and you're just like laying it all out there. Mm. 
I don't know. This is weird to me. Um, I will right, we'll move on to the next. I just got to actually quickly quickly change the camera. Well, battery. One last point before you change your camera okay. battery. Yeah. He says this. If I said that without actually getting rank one, so he's basically saying he wanted to prove to people that like because he could still get rank one, it means that like I, I prove that not the best player can get rank one. Mm. But like that's that's negligible as well. I mean, he used his champion mastery only playing Twist of Fate and Oriana, which he may be one of the best Oriana and Twist of Fate players in Korea. What's wrong with that? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like he's, yeah, very weird. He's very, he's just, he's, he's skipping over. I don't know what to make here. of that. I'm, I was confused about that. Yeah. If he said it without actually get rank one, so he's, he's just got it just to prove his point that there's, there's other ways you can get rank one. But at the end of the day, it's like, if he wasn't mastery level 10 on Oriana and Twist of Fate, he's not getting rank one, no matter what's LP. Yeah. It doesn't you know? matter about what tip tricks you use. You still got to be fucking good at the game. Yeah. All right, you can change the battery. All right, we'll be back in just a second, guys. Just a GV. All right, advice to aspiring players. <laughs> I mean, this is, again, not... I, I think we basically skip over this, but yeah. one, again, he basically says here that, you know, if you're a young player, you should get paid. Don't, like, undersell yourself, but that's just that's nonsense the, as well. That's the, the market's the market, The man. market's the market. Just don't... Yeah. yeah. He's, he's just completely no, devaluing he, you economics. Know, you know yeah. what he's saying? That, why he's saying that? He's saying that because... If if his if everything he were to say would it be true so far, then the value of being a young high high yellow player means so much more than a older high yellow player. That's right, right? Yeah. Which is we know is just not the case. Yeah, I mean I I mean I don't believe that to be the case. Mm. The best players aren't the youngest ones. They've been playing for quite a while. They know things about the game that like, about take Nuggery experience. Wasn't the best player at the, the start, yeah. even though he was like a rank one player. He, yeah. he took they had to fail at Worlds and come back again. That's right. You know it's it's. Anyway. All right. The Red Queen hypothesis. This was something I wasn't expecting to okay. read. Uh, so he read something the other day um, being similar to his situation. So it, this, this hypothesis here, it proposes that when species are pitted against other opposing species, they must constantly adapt, evolve, and proliferate in order to survive. They're constantly evolving, yet that evolution only serves to keep them in the same place. If they didn't evolve, they'll die off. That's me. I'm constantly evolving and absorbing new concepts, but it only serves to keep me in place. So what is dying off look like when I'm stuck in Diamond 2? So if you think about it again, like going back to his reasoning for, you know, again, rank one, eight seasons in a row being longer and longer. It's yeah. like, well, hold on, Dope. You're evolving yeah, and adapting. this doesn't make sense to me. It's like, well, let's this, backtrack this actually, here again. This actually just shuts down his everything that <laughs> he, he said so far. He's just contradicting himself, didn't he? He's literally contradicting himself. And this is the beauty of League is you need to constantly evolve and adapt. Again, and this is going back to, you know, that big argument that we have on all these episodes. It's like yeah. about the SK. Can, can a season, current player right now beat a season three player? Yeah. And you, th you think it's 100%. You know what, Curtis? I'll talk to you later. It's actually growing on me a bit. Okay. okay. <laughs> you might be right. Okay. You know, so, um, yeah. Again, the importance there is the... Yeah, I mean, he's right. The Red Queen, I mean, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that, that's in all aspects of life. You know? Every like, aspect of life. Humans are great at doing it, and you have to... It's adapt or die. Yeah. Welcome to the world. Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to adapt. If you want to be successful in business today versus 100 years ago, you have to adapt to this new thing called the internet. Yep. That's it. You know? It's life. That's, that's, why, that's why we love league so much. Yeah. It forces you to adapt and get good at adapting if you want to be good at the game. 
So I don't know if there's much more. Well, he says here, I wonder if I still have it in me to make a significant advancement. I once had this false hope that I could transcend other players and become someone like Flash or Bisu, which are legendary StarCraft players. They were so much better than others in their prime, and they still, and they still play the game at a high level today and stream. They are still, they are still the best players that play that game. League, however, has too many new players for the old guards to remain at the top without evolving. I mean, I think he's just underrating himself here. He mm. undersells himself here, and he mm. just this is all over the place mm. in terms of logic and like he's just debunking himself and then creating. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Like, yes. Okay, he's saying that he's not as good as, like, what these StarCraft players are. But the reason that's the case, by the way, is StarCraft doesn't change. And and he can't even use that example because StarCraft's a fucking dead game. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like, no shit, there's going to be no one as good as Flash and Beast because the incentivization for yeah. young kids to come up and get better than them doesn't, is, exist. doesn't exist. Yeah, that was only that time, that era. Every point he's coming up with, you can refute it with a thousand points. Mm. He's looking at it through such a one-dimensional lens, man. It's actually starting to piss me off, honestly. This is getting few, look at your face. You're getting yeah, some of red, Curtis. All right. Uh, game settings. Because he's actually pushing a fixed mindset to he young is, people. That's is. what's pissing me off about yeah. it. It's not about him being There's wrong. people that would eat this up as like, yes, dope. This, yes, is, dope being, this, this is, is me. Thousands this of us. Look at how many comments are on this thing. There's 191 comments. You know, these people are like sucking dope as dick here thinking that like he's the best in the world and like... Yeah. Yes, there's aspects that he knows of really well, but there's some things here that, you know, thinks we are... Again, I mean, I appreciate him giving this view Yeah, I stuff. appreciate it, but we I don't think it's genuine. tearing it apart, but yeah. I don't, you don't think it's genuine. No, I don't. I, genuinely, I think it is genuine. This is just the way he is. That's the way he's thinking. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Okay, what, what, okay, let me clarify. What I mean by genuine is that it's, it's like well-thought-out, constructed arguments. Okay, well, that's not, that's not what genuine means, Curtis. Right, okay, so I'll take that back. So it's not well-thought-out. I just don't think they're... You, okay, you're retiring, and you're going out with a big bang, you're going to the military and all this bullshit. Fucking at least have some, like, think what you're about. Like, Wait, but was this was this presented as it was meant to? Wasn't he just talking on his stream? Or was this, like, meant to be, like, a big... I don't know. Like, right? if it was a book, we could tear it apart That's like this. True. You know what I mean, Curtis? Like, we got even the benefit of the doubt, yeah. But, like, again, the way you but are... But, again, you're a role is, model, dude. Yeah. Fucking have some, you know, respect for the community. You're a role model, whether you want to be one or not. All right, moving on to game settings now, Curtis. You talked about this in your latest video. Yeah, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. He just keeps the same game he's settings. detailed. I mean, he literally says his monitor is 47.3 centimeters away from the edge of the desk. He has tape to measure, make sure everything's perfect. Again, making the variables in his control. I mean, not again. Yeah. This is we're just, this, what I, I said in my video. video yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like it. You want to get the variables in your control as much as you can, which again allows you, again, attention theory. To focus on things that you need but to I, But I also think that. this is like just him being um, kind of maybe, what's that word? Attention something disorder? OCD. OCD, a yeah. bit OCD. Maybe OCD, yeah. Um, there was an interesting bit here where he sp speaks about how to find the perfect mount sensitivity. I was actually talking to Ch Charlie about this. Okay, interesting. He was saying how you put aim booster in the corner of the screen mm. and and then you click on the corner in the middle of the screen, then to each corner of the aim booster. So I'm basically, if you type it in, it's like a little program where it's you a, can, it's a game. It's yeah. a game, yeah. And, 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 and essentially, it's like this little th way you can optimize where there's inaccuracies or um, where your sensitivity is not not doesn't feel good for you. Like it's just a, it's just like a really weird way of using aim booster to actually find out the optimal settings for your mouse what feels comfortable for you. It's hard to explain, so I'd rather, if you're interested in doing that, 
Um, I would actually go to the video. Um, montages. Again, I don't think there's anything insightful here. Basically, just talks about how, like, in a montage, they're not versus... Like, a montage is only good if it's genuinely versus good players. Like, you'll notice that all the all these cool montages that are on the internet aren't versus amazing Such players. Such a good point random. Yeah. I hate montages. Montages I, are a have waste you ever, of time. Have you ever like, sat down and watched montages? The only montage was somewhat recently, about a month ago, when yeah. I was look, look, looking at a but showmaker. Like it was a trophy or was a showmaker or a knight uh, one, where the, the, the kills are actually on other pro players. And that's, that's genuinely interesting mm. to me. Mm. But any other one, if you look at them, like, it's either them smurfing on, like, or like doing plays against other for fun streamers, yeah, or other random players, yeah, smurfing, so, yeah, literally. So I mean, my I, I it was funny. We actually had a, a channel in, in my Discord like yeah. montage. We still have it there, and someone asked like, you know, why aren't you like that active in it or something like that? And I said like, I just I just hate montages because I know montages isn't what helps people get better. Like boring. Uh, my philosophy always for league is boring is sexy. You got to do the the boring things again over and over again to create consistency. I hate the mindset of montage and montage plays and people like want to show each other plays. Like, yeah, okay, it's fine. I, I might just be like a like a grumpy mm. old man here or like an elitist here, but like again, I just it just if you're just only thinking about montages, you're like a leasing montage player or something like that. Like the, the 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 more that I find, the more you're trying to go for montage plays, the less successful you are in solo queue. You know, yeah. like it's like a mindset. It's more of a mindset thing. Yeah, montages are cool. You know, show your friends all that sort of good stuff. But like, it doesn't help you get better. Don't focus on it. Don't spend much energy on it because it doesn't get you better at the game. Don't try and go for outplays and stuff. I mean, yeah, go for outplays when you can. But it's like, you know, it's like the boring stuff is what makes you good at league. You know, doing hitting last hitting minions. It's like all the stuff that's not sexy makes you good at league. Yep. That's the gist of the Spot story. Spot on. Um, um, anything else interesting? You're saying how the value of a kill is way too high now nowadays because uh, of yeah, just because of the items. Um, I'm assuming like lethality and things like that, and presence of mind, ravenous hunter. But this was before the preseason, so things changed. But I would agree with that as well. Um, comparatively to back in the day, like a kill now, I would say that's again just one reason though. Yeah. He's, he's really going over that very roughly because I would say another aspect is that the game is much more snowball-y and a kill means more because, well, first of all, how hard it is to get a kill because everyone's much better. But also, if someone does get a lead, they understand concepts that allow you to translate leads much more effectively. That's right, yeah. So the game's evolved. But remember, there's also high-impact kills and low-impact kills. There's that as well. You know, that we talked about. Anyway, that's pretty much it for this post. Um, so we kind of tore him to shreds a little bit towards the end. <laughs> yeah, it was getting heated. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what if, I mean, if the community that listen to us have a similar take, or maybe they think where it's not a good take, maybe that's fine. I, again, this is my opinion, just like Dopa says. Um, this is my take on psychoanalyzing Dopa. So, um, we'll hear back from you guys in the comments and um, we'll dive straight into the BBC questions. Yes, to a couple of questions. Right. We'll only do like three because we did this recording a little bit later and I do need somewhere I need to be. So I've got to edit this podcast and stuff. Yep. Um, all right. So this one here, we, we talked about this in the, um, about age. Who's in, this by? This is by Nolan. Nolan. I think we might have answered one of Nolan's questions before. 
So, hey guys, been loving the show and had a question. Season 10 has introduced me to League and I'm 21 years old, finishing the season around Silver 2. Assuming the climb to Challenger takes about three years to do, which we've talked about in a previous yep. podcast. That's how long we think it takes to get to Challenger from starting the game. Um, would you consider 21 to be too old to start looking into potentially playing at a very high slash pro level? Would you guys say there is a prime age to be playing Wait, I swear you said at... 24, but he's 21. Oh, did I say right? Did I say I that? don't know. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Yeah, you're definitely losing your mind. I definitely okay. said 21. Would you guys say there is a prime age to be playing to perform at the highest level? Ooh. So is this in order to... He says, I'm not 21. Not to go pro, but just to get challenger. Two. Well, he says, high, like, he says two things here. High challenger and also pro level. Um, well, firstly, it's like... Or, like, the question asking, like, it's like, is it worth it to, like, try to attempt? It's like, if you enjoy the game, have fun. If you got high elo, you got high elo. Yeah, I always say the goal to get, like, challenger, even if you're 21, is definitely. Mm. I think there's no harm in doing that. I mean, like, again, the skills and the person you'll become doing it, it's an amazing hobby, period. It's an amazing hobby. Not, I wouldn't go to the extent where you, you give up your studies and quit your job and shit like that. Of course not. You know, you can balance your life and still get challenger. And the person you'll become if you do it properly and watch our content and, you know, you really will learn a lot about yourself. And I'll say it's definitely doable. Easily to get to Challenger by 24. I mean, that's your prime gaming years. Like, some of your prime gaming years. So, you asked, what, what, when's the prime gaming years? Well, I saw something on... I can't remember where, where it was, but I would agree that between 20 and 25, that's when I believe that you kind of have... If you have a growth mindset, I think that's where you can get the most shit done. Like, you can make the most progress. I would say, yes, 16, 17, 18, 19. Like, it's much easier for you to improve because of, like, your just overall situation. Like, time investment, mental baggage, no responsibilities and things like that. But in terms of, like, if you, were to get, if you had your life together as a 21-year-old and you could, like, balance your life, you had a great schedule. Because you're actually just a much deeper thinker, you probably have more discipline as well. There's an argument to be made that it could even be easier to climb in a different way what do you mean by that so like you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to get the same results as an 18 year old if they did this if you did the same thing mm-hmm. as them if you mm-hmm. just mindlessly grinded a thousand games a season you're not gonna get the same results as an 18 year old 17 year old you're just not yeah because the 17 18 year old will learn more from those games by autopilot and just playing throwing enough shit at a wall because because not only i mean they obviously are gonna play be able to play more games with you but they have such a clear mind they don't have anything else to think about. And they're going to think about the game even when they're not playing the game. They don't have to think about like paying rent and they don't have home. the fear of failure. They don't have like the, also the whole bullshit about like, they, they just play with conviction. They don't need to be like, oh, I'm running out of time. It's like, well, it's like I'm right now, right now. They're very present. Yeah, you they're say very present, present in the moment, right? Yeah. So I would say you're not going to be able to have that approach. But the approach that you will be able to adopt is you can be very meaningful with your practice. you can be very disciplined you can create a really great schedule. You can like have a. You can like really learn more about how you learn. Like you can actually play less coach. games. Yeah, get a coach. You can get more from the coaching itself. That there are things that you can do to get results, but not in the same way. Is it? Does that make sense, Nathan? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, why shouldn't? Why can't a uh, young kid do the same thing? I think it's harder for a young kid though because they're, they're less disciplined. Their minds are just crazy. They're not. They're not mature. You don't have the maturity aspect. 
This is where I think coaches are important, Gertis. Yeah, I mean... Because I, I, I feel like then that person okay. is going to be a lot better, potentially. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, if, yeah. if, the, if for some reason that young kid was always brought up with like a role model mm. when he was 14, 15, mm. and he was like actually pretty disciplined and respected this coach and he had, he had like a really great guidance, that kid's going to be way better. He's going to be a fucking animal. But, you know, we're talking right now. Just talking right now. And what about pro for Nolan? So let's say he gets... Two more years, I say. He played this year, he gets challenger in two years. Uh, I think it's basically it's difficult, right? Because because then you got to fail as a pro for a while. It's, it's too, probably twenty six, twenty seven. You don't, you're not going to have the you're not going to have the time. All right. Unfortunately, I mean that's fair to say, right, Nathan? Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I mean, they can always be the first, right? You can always be the first. You can be an anomaly. But the thing is, you would have to be high, high challenger within the next two to three years and like make a splash. Yeah. Like you wouldn't just have to be a normal challenger player. You have to be like, You'd this guy's be like, good. This man. guy's fucking good. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's impressing me. You'd have to impress pro players. It's possible. I don't say it's not possible. It's just hard. Because unfortunately, okay, the way it will work, even if you get to a pro level by like 24, again, you need to be significantly better because you're, if you're just on the cusp when you're hitting the pro scene, you're like, you well, know, teams won't value you because they're going to value an 18 year old who's mm, a similar level to mm. you. Because they're just a long-term investment. They're mm. younger. All right. Um, next question here is from Makiek. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right. He's from Poland. I do apologize if I'm pronouncing if I'm butchering that. Title emails, how to reach high elo as a deep thinker. Hi, Curtis and Nathan. I'd like to introduce myself and describe my problems before I ask my question to give you the better understanding of my situation. My name's Makiek. I'm 17 and I'm from Poland. I've been playing league since season five. I'm a plat one, plat two player whose level of play hasn't improved since season seven. We're now in season 10, that's three years. Once I heard that Curtis said in his newest video about deep thinkers, I immediately knew that it's about me. So my story in league, I hit plat one in season seven. At that time, I was injured heavily and I couldn't even walk. I didn't go to school and I just sat and played league all day. Throughout four months of my injury, I climbed from silver to plat one. Then I came back to school, normal life, and I got stuck. I couldn't climb anymore, and it really got to my head. I became frustrated because I had a dream of becoming a pro player. I started thinking more than I really played, and I forced myself to achieve my dreams, but I didn't have much fun playing because I played to achieve my dreams. And I've seen that multiple times with every single game. I get to like top 1% of players and start thinking about going pro, becoming the highest ranked. That mindset kills me because every time I switch my mindset to, yeah, fuck games, I do it for fun, then everything become easier and I started playing the game much more confident because of that. I improved subconsciously. I was just try-harding for fun. I had a period in my life when I was coached by a pro and I played eight games a day focused only on the game and in three weeks i climbed from plat one to plat to diamond three late season seven this is still season seven as we actually improved through a coach and i've seen that with curtis's psychology video every time i watch them and i only focus on the game not about my future if i will improve or not i will get challenger in the next three four seasons that i'm going to be too then i'll be too old to go pro that I'm not going to be as great as all the young prodigies, etc., etc. It even got to the point where I can't ride a bike and focus on the task. It's really hard and unenjoyable living like that because it leads to states of anxiety. 
You really see how big of a problem it is. I recognize that, but I don't know how to get rid of this kind of thinking. And if I can, how do I live in the present moment and not think about useless stuff that ruins my day-to-day life? Sorry for the length of the message. All good, man. And English is my first language. I think we understand your point here. All right. So what do you reckon here, Curtis? So league. So this is really affecting him. Mm. He's stuck. He feels like the reason he's stuck is because he, every time he's like, okay, I'm going to try and go pro now. He gets stuck. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think he's too attached to the result, right? That's what it is. He's not being present. You know, he even identifies it here. So now he's asked, how do I get present? Um, I mean, the first thing that sprung to mind here was meditation. Mm. That this is beneficial. less for just league. This is just life. Mm. I think meditation is going to be your best friend. But in terms of league, the way he's got to, he's got to really view it for him is... Um, what was Ma- Makiek? Makiek is how I'm pronouncing it. Um, By the way, if you want to learn meditation, go look at Healthy Gamer GG. He has a lot of walkthroughs about how to do meditation correctly. Go go watch him. One. Yeah, I like it. Um, what sort of meditation does he do, by the way? I, I did that transcendental meditation. I don't know what they're called, but he teaches well, a very effective well, The one methods. that I has like actually felt good for me personally was this one where... You just have like a mantra in your head. You say repeat. And you just say repeat. it. And then you just don't do anything. And you keep doing it for long enough where you like go into, into the state. state of just mm. like clarity. And if you are a very deep thinker, it can help a lot. Um, for me, I got the same result when I worked out intense. Um, it's been known, you know, if you go for an exercise and things like that, you can actually get the same result. But um, meditation is a very great way of doing that. I would say, I think you hit the nail on the head, Nathan. I think he he has conflated his ego or him his value as a person with his performance in-game. Oh, his rank. His rank. Mm. And that's a very toxic thing to do. Because then what happens is then, I can already tell what's happening in your games. You're blaming your teammates. I guarantee that you're blaming your teammates here because you're like, this person is literally preventing me from being a pro player, which is... Maybe factually true, but you, at the end of the day, you... He still contributed to the result of that game in some way, shape, or form. You contributed to the result, but you face the same parameters as every other Platinum player. You're not a special little player, right? It's putting matchmaking towards exactly. you, you know? Because, okay, I think there's a few things that he could do. I think, number one, that he needs to bring it back down to... We gave this advice to, I think it was Zanir in the last podcast. He needs to really have a think about what sort of player... And what sort of person does he want to be? Like he has to hold himself to a standard. Because the thing is, Nathan, if you don't hold if you don't have a standard for yourself, it's it's so easy just to default to I would say subpar behavior. Absolutely. Have a standard for yourself. Figure it out. What 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 sort of player do you want to be? What sort of person do you want to be? What's important to you? And what you'll realize, and we say this a lot, the most important and the thing that will give you the most satisfaction and the best mindset to have is, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give my maximum amount of effort to see what I'm capable of. And let's see what happens. Now, yes, you can, you can want to be, you, you, might, you, you can definitely want to be a pro player. You can have that. If that's something you want. But it's the way you go about, it's what you value as like, successful what's to say um okay if you look at it in a very like everyone else does i'm winning which means i'm getting better simply put 
I'm winning. So this must mean I'm getting better. You're rewarding yourself for the outcome when you should be rewarding yourself for the, the way you go about getting that outcome. How much effort you put yeah, in the game? How effort. much learning? You're reviewing your games. How much did you get? How much learning did you get from that game? Did you lose? Fo- did you did you remain focused for that entire game? Did you get tilted during that game? Were you able to use every single lull state in the game to figure out what your role was in that game and what the win condition was? Were you able to? Um, were you able to play out the lane that you th- like the way you initially thought of it within the loading screen? Were you able to stay focused within the review? Were you able to take notes effectively? Were you able to use the loading screen effectively? You have to get very good at the process. Very, very good at the process. And you'll find that the better you are at the process... The better the outcome. The better the outcome will be. That's just the byproduct. The LP is the byproduct of you playing Great League of Legends. And the way to play Great League of Legends is by getting the most learning out of every single game. Your mentality should be this. I'm going to be better than everyone else in the long run if I'm going to be getting 90 or 95% or 100% of the learning out of every single game when, where everyone else is only getting 30% or 20% of the learning. And, and, and the thing is, dude, you have to realize as well, life is not, a, you're not competing against anyone in a, way, in a way. Like you are and you're not. Something that's really helped me is that like, it's not about anyone else. Like I don't give a fuck if anyone else is better at me than something, they're worse than me at something, if they're super talented or they have no talent, you know what really impresses me? The people that, the people that scare me the most are the ones that aren't talented and they put in a fuckload of work. Excuse my language. But they're the ones that are driven and obsessed and I know they may not be as good as me right now, but I'm shit scared of them because they will be better than me in like a If year. I drop the ball for a couple of months, like I could, like they, they're just better than me. And you got to be that sort of player because they have better process than me. And, and you got to you got to really realize that it's not about and, and and at the end of the day as well. By the way, the only way you're going to be able to look yourself in the mirror is if you can say to yourself at the end of the day, "I gave it my all." It's all you can ask for. You can only ever ask your all, and you might not be good enough, which yeah. is going to really hurt. But that's going to be it's like okay, that's life. It's life. That's you know? life. It, we're not all we're not all you don't on an even playing to be field. A pro player. You don't deserve anything. No, yeah. you don't deserve anything. anything. Yeah, that's the most toxic thing in life that no one t- gets told. Nathan. Yeah, you don't deserve shit. Yeah. That you know, entitlement. You, you know, you might have like you know a terrible like upbringing and all that sort of stuff. But like again, it's like the mindset. It's like, well, spin it in. In a positive way, you know, it's like, okay, like if I, like you could even spin this, it's like, it's in a positive way in a way. It's like, you've been stuck, but it's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I can't exactly say it's like what we tell you is going to suddenly change you. I mean, you know, yeah. you might not really listen to us, but it's like you, you've learned why you're stuck. I mean, you even say it here, you're actually pretty self-aware. You say, well, you're not present and stuff like use these last three years. Just like, it took me three years to figure out how to be present, but now I can Man, I forward. resonate with that. Nathan can even attest to this. Mm. I was the opposite of present. Yeah. For how long, Nathan? Uh, I mean, you struggle with it that's still today. Right, but very not present. Like, yeah, like three, like when you were 18, 19, even 20. Yeah. yeah. Years. 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 I was never present. I was in my head, overthinking shit. I never enjoyed the moment. Even to this day, I try my best, but I still struggle. It's something I, I battle with because I'm a deep thinker, just like you. And it's just my, 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 the burden is the burden of being a deep thinker. It's just the way it is. There's also benefits. There's benefits of it. Yeah. But there are a lot of downsides if you don't manage it appropriately. That's right. 
Gonna and the way, you, and, and something that what I, I heard this of one of my favorite, he's one of my role models, name's Eric Weinstein. He was, I don't know if he was dyslexic, but he had like difficulties with numbers or whatever it was. He couldn't read properly or whatever it was in school. And what he realized was that rather than giving up and just viewing myself as I'm an idiot, he's like, no, I'm going to create my own toolkit to figure out how to get this done. Now, notice how powerful that is. Rather than, I'm an idiot, I'm bad at the game, I can't read, I can't write. Okay, cool. This is where I'm at. I've been dealt a bad hand. It is what it is. I'm going to figure out a way to develop a toolkit because if I can figure out this toolkit to, to manage this situation, whether I have to do, I have to conduct myself in a certain way, I have to do a certain schedule, I have to do, follow this certain process, I have to use an extra program, whatever it is, to, to allow me to operate within this environment, then I'm going to be a terrifying person to deal with in the future. Because if I can figure this out, I can figure anything out. Exactly right. And that's the powerful mindset. It's like, it gives you so much confidence. It's like, I overcame this. I can, what, what's next? Well, the, the, the world's your oyster. So man, I know we've said a lot here and I'm very passionate about this because I, I resonate with you big time. I would say look into meditation. Like Nathan said, check out Healthy Gamer. I would also get into thinking about what sort of player do you want to be and really dwell on a lot of things we've mentioned here. But one thing as well, you got to remember, this is probably the last thing I'm going to say. You're not going to think your way out of this situation. That's right. That's, you got you gotta, you got to accept that right now. You, there's, you're, there's not. No, there's, you're not going to... This, this, I'll, I'll tell you what's definitely not going to happen. Yeah. You're not going to randomly one night like start thinking all night and be like, Oh wow! I just have oh, to do this. Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Oh, I'm all happy now. Like I can enjoy the moment. Like this is not what's going to happen. You're not going to just going to yeah. think your way out of it. Yeah. Exercise schedule, having a journaling, meditation, um, surrounding yourself with great people, recognizing the beauty in life, getting obsessed with the process. This is all stuff that's going to distract yourself and actually just do. These are all actions. Notice these are all actions. They're not thinking, okay? So do things to bring about a different reality rather than... You can't think your way to a different reality, okay? Very important to understand. All right, last question here is from Taruga. Taruga, there's no subject on the email. Uh, Hi, I have a learning objective right now that he's looking at the minimap more often, but every time I enter the game, I forget about it. I know that this is my learning objective outside the game, but as soon as I enter the game, I forget literally every time. How can I improve this? <laughs> when I say every time, it's literally like every time. Thanks. What? No, Curtis, this is normal. Is this normal? Your goal, you're not connected enough to your goal. I mean, yeah, Curtis, it doesn't mean if, enough to if you. I want to get better, if my, if I, if if I'm going to die and I need to get better, get better at the game, I'm not going to forget my map forget, awareness. Man. When I was climbing to rank two challenger, Curtis, if I made a mistake, I'm not making that mistake again. I think there's two things going on here. I think you're spot on. I think it doesn't mean enough to him. Obviously, like the objective doesn't mean enough to him, or he doesn't see the importance of improving at that aspect of the game. Yeah, that's that's another aspect as well. Or, um. But you, but he does because he says it's his learning objective, which is weird. But because what's weird is that usually a learning objective is painful. Yeah, like it's something that's given you pain in the past. So you're generally you've lost games because of it. You have to like connect with like holy, like this has to be meaningful to you. I mean, I would also say that maybe he doesn't have champion mastery. Mm. 
so maybe he's playing champions that he doesn't have champion mastery on. Like, you're not going to be able to focus on your your map awareness or looking at the minimap if you literally don't have champion mastery. So if you've played less than 80 games on your champion and you're trying to improve your map awareness, you're going to have a hard time. So that's, I'm throwing that out there. He could be playing, learning champs at the same that's time. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. That's great. Great tie-in. I think that's a good end to the podcast. Yep. Important to Dopa, champion mastery, that sort of stuff. Cool. All right. Uh, that was a pretty good episode, Curtis. Pretty happy with that one. Um, number 20. Um, any final thoughts, comments? Um, there was. I'll actually, no, I'll bring this up on the next one. Okay. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. See and we'll later. see you next episode time 21. for episode number 21.